For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. I want to go very quickly to our phone lines and thank our first caller uh, for squeezing five minutes out of her very busy schedule and I try to keep it to five minutes on my honour. Good morning, Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald. A very good morning to you. How are you? Thank you for coming on at such short notice. My pleasure. Now, uh, is this a waste of time? Is it a waste of resources? Um, You could bring down the government at this most tenuous of times uh, with the inflationary catastrophe that's going on. Do you feel you have the numbers? Are you ready to go to the country? And I'm sorry if there's too many questions in one, but I know we're limited on time. (laughs) And and I will will do my best to, to answer those as clearly as I can. Firstly, no, this is not a waste of time. This is timely and this is necessary. The government has now lost its parliamentary uh, majority and we have had two years of what has been a very bad government. Uh, We have seen failure after failure. I'm going to cite a particular failure in the area of housing. Far from improving things, they have made and are making things so much worse. We um, have to be very, very clear that in a time of an inflationary spiral, a real cost of living crisis for families right across Cork, right across Munster, right across Ireland are under the most horrific pressure. You have to have a government that is competent, that's energetic and that's fit for the job. And what we have had instead is something that is sluggish and hesitant and confused. So this is the time every every TD will now have to ask themselves, do they vote for more of the same or do they vote for the change that is now so long, long overdue? That is the question, and now is the moment. And we lead the opposition in Sinn Féin, so we're, we're staking out our position. We're going to take uh, the argument to the government. We want a new government and a government of change. But every other deputy that's elected has to ask themselves, honestly, do they honestly believe that over the next year, over the next two years, when things are going to be so challenging, that this confused, out-of-touch, out-of-time government is the government that you want in office. Isn't, isn't this that you're smelling blood in the air, if you like, considering what's happening across the water and the massive heave against Boris Johnson? Well, no. I mean, the Boris Johnson soap opera has been well underway for many, many months and, and nobody will shed any tears at his departure. Our job on this side of the pond is to defend Irish interests and to make it very clear to whoever Boris Johnson's successor is that uh, Ireland won't be the collateral damage for their Brexit or for their power games in Parliament or in Number 10. But no, this is very much about here. This is very much about now. It's about workers. It's about families. It's about communities. It's about the fact that people are entitled to have a safe and secure roof over their head, food in their bellies, the ability to heat and and light uh, their homes, and the expectation that you will have a chance to have um, a good and a decent life. That, that's it. We, we are talking here about the basics. We are not talking about anything extravagant. We are talking about having the legitimate expectation of a government that gets the basics right. And this government is a fail after fail after fail on that score. And we have a ringside seat, so to speak. We watch this in slow motion, day in, day out, as this government re- re- repeats the same mistakes again and again, and workers and families paid the price. So we're calling this out, and they have now lost their parliamentary majority. And so the ball now is very much in the court of every TD beyond Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and the Green Party. And, and Sinn Féin, the other parties, 
but also the independent TDs. Can we afford to go to, to the country? Can the country afford a general election? Are you guys you ready for always, it? You can always afford a democracy. I mean, the country is, is run on the basis of the people being sovereign, the people being in charge, the people taking the big decisions. So, of course, uh, we can afford we, we can't uh, afford not to have a vibrant uh, democratic process. But dissent on... I, 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 I'm sorry yeah. for butting in. I know we're short on time. Dissent in the back benches of Fianna Fáil. F Fine Gael, F Sinn Féin, F the lot of them came out of the party, uh, parliamentary yeah, party. Um, if you don't topple the government, is collateral damage to the leadership of um, Micheál Martin and maybe a political heave um, worthy enough of this action? Listen, those, those, those are matters for, for those parties. Um, that's not for me. I have no, I have no influence or say in what happens within their internal politics. And that's not my concern. My concern is, for example, my colleague Donna Lera Corkman, put forward a very sensible, very thoughtful package of measures to help families in terms of getting children, kids back to school in September. We brought the government some of the way, a little bit of the way, and that was welcome in terms of raising uh, the rate for those who qualify for a back-to-school grant. But, but they refused and still refuse to give much-needed help to families that are middle-income families, that don't get anything really from the state that are, and that are now distracted and beside themselves with worry as to how they're going to get uh, kids back in September. That's what I'm concerned about. I am, okay. I am annoyed. Uh, I am angry that we have a government. A final question, slow uh, if I may? will only go half the way ever. Sorry, uh, yes. Have I time for one final question? You do indeed. Okay, yes. uh, the ideals of Sinn Féin and, and those of successive conservative parties are not exactly the best of bedfellows. What are you hoping for in the new leader uh, of the Conservative Party and the new Prime Minister? Um, uh, respect for international law. Um, a commitment to act in good faith with the international community, the Europeans, um, and a complete understanding that Ireland is not alone when we defend our national interests, that we have solidarity not just at a European level, but from the United States of America and beyond. I, I want whoever the next leader of the Tory party is to get real on all of those scores. Of course, we share nothing in common politically with their uh, agenda. Of, of course, that, that goes without saying. But, but that's, that's a matter for themselves and for the people of Britain. My concern is Ireland protecting here. And I, I told Boris Johnson on the many times that I met him, and they were always very difficult meetings, I have to say, um, that whatever his antics or the drama that was uh, generated in and around him and Brexit and Tories and all of that... Uh, that the peace process in Ireland, stability in Ireland, prosperity in our, our rights as an island nation will not be damaged by his uh, his uh, antics. And he never listened to that message, sadly. His engagement with Ireland has been wholly negative, north and south. Um, and that is very regrettable. He's now going. We, we have to hope that whoever succeeds will be more in tune with reality but that would be the extent of my hope. I, okay. I would have no wild, wild optimism beyond that. I've already put your schedule under more pressure than I promised I would. So Mary Lou MacDonald, Sinn Féin leader, thanks, thanks for making so the time for us nice. this morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Brenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM.
And take a breath. Quarter past nine. Let's get to the morning papers. They say a picture paints a thousand words and all credit where credit is due to the picture chosen by the examiner this morning. It's of the back of a blonde head disappearing into the darkness uh, with the uh, headline on it, Them's the Breaks. And um, we said we would look at the weather in more detail. We can do that at any time. Uh, But Them's the Breaks, uh, that's kind of a brilliant picture on the front page of the examiner, even if you don't buy it today uh, in your local... uh, filling station, whatever, you're going to see it uh, staring out at you. It's the examiner front page. Uh, the mirror, he stays as a caretaker, uh, but plans bash. Uh, I'm reminded, by the way, of uh, a statement that Boris Johnson made when Gordon Brown was clinging to power. And uh, if, if you read it in, in the light of everything that's happening, uh, you know, over the last few months, but especially over the last uh, few days, it really puts it into severe context, uh, the hypocrisy uh, of uh, what Boris Johnson is doing um, because he he roundly lambasted uh, Gordon Brown. Uh, there, there's, here's a piece from the 10th of May 2010 before I go back into, into the papers. This is Boris Johnson uh, about Gordon Brown. The whole thing is unbelievable. As I write these words, Gordon Brown is still holed up in Downing Street. He's like some illegal settler in the Sinai Desert lashing himself to the radiator or like David Brent haunting the office in that excruciating episode when he refuses to acknowledge that he's been sacked. Isn't there someone, the Queen's private secretary, the nice policeman at the door of number 10, whose job is to tell him that the game is up? That's what he wrote about Gordon Brown and how prophetic those words are now, how ironically prophetic they are uh, in that he won't listen to them himself. Boris Johnson's allies insist devotion to duty is why he wants to stay on at number 10 until a new Conservative leader is elected. Devotion to duty or himself? Uh, But Tory insiders say one of the reasons he can stage one more party at Chequers while he still can. Uh, The sources say the Prime Minister and his wife Carrie intend to throw a big wedding bash there this month. One Tory insider told the Mirror, it beggars belief that even after all the criticism Johnson has faced regarding integrity and probity, one of the reasons he's staying is to have the wedding party at Chequers. That will not do uh, his future reputation uh, any good. Uh, our relationship with Boris, well, past its prime, says the star today. Johnson was no friend of Ireland. History will not be kind to Boris Johnson, as he will be remembered in this country as no friend of Ireland. The Taoiseach and Tornish might not say it openly, uh, but there can be no doubt that they'll be glad to see the back of a man widely described as the worst ever British Prime Minister. Put simply, Johnson, the blonde bog brush known as Big Dog, was so twisted he could not lie straight if he tied down if he was tied down on a snooker table. Meanwhile, both Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar will send their uh, commiserations and wish him well. They'll privately be relieved he has been forced to resign. But regardless of what they thought of the British Prime Minister on a personal level, they realised very early on that he was a man who could not be trusted to keep his word. Uh, And, uh, of course, acres of coverage of uh, Boris Johnson and his impending um, dragged out and drawn out departure uh, all over the papers today. Festival Drug Fears says the Echoes front page calls for drug testing labs at events. Warnings have been issued about new psychoactive substances being sold to festival goers under the guise of MDMA pills or cannabis. It follows calls from a Cork woman for pop-up drug testing labs to be introduced at music festivals similar to those in the UK. And the basis of these is uh, you're not selling drugs, you've bought them from somebody, uh, but you can get them tested uh, and, uh, you know, without, without any fear or favour uh, of being arrested, that kind of thing. Uh, I've bought this, is it safe? And if, if that action saves a life, then it's worth it. I'm not condoning 
the uh, you know the proliferation uh, and the ease of use of drugs at festivals. Uh, but if somebody takes something that kills them and that could be prevented, then we must look at some mechanism uh, to do that. This lady is proposing a similar model to Glastonbury, be made available in Ireland with a drug testing lab for those in attendance. Uh, UK organisation The Loop introduces pop-up labs to festivals and other major events through an initiative supported by local police forces. It's all about finding that nuance of acceptance. Uh, Organisers of the event enable the testing of drugs when they are found, surrendered or seized on site. Uh, in other festivals, of course, you can uh, get whatever drug you wish to ingest tested. And that causes ire, uh, and rightfully so. I guess everyone's entitled to their opinions, but that causes ire. Uh, in much of the population too. Adverts for turf banned, rural TDs inflamed by proposed restrictions on uh, the sale of fuel. This is on the Mail front page today. There's internet sales of turf uh, and they're going to be banned under new draft regulations to be brought to the Taoiseach and Tónishta by Green Party leader Eamon Ryan next week. Stamp out turf, says Eamon Ryan. The proposed regulations will also prevent advertisements from being taken in newspapers, it's understood. Uh, rural opposition TDs were deeply critical of Minister Ryan's comments about online turf sales yesterday, saying his remarks on the internet ban show he doesn't understand turf and is off his rocker. However, the Irish Daily Mail saw dozens of advertisements for turf uh, on online retail site Done Deal last night. The adverts related to turf sales in numerous different counties. One offered turf for €4 Euro for a small bag, another for €65 Euro for a ton bag. But under new regulations, it's also proposed that selling turf through traditional media channels, such as newspapers, uh, will no longer be possible. Minister promised uh, promises to slash childcare prices. Uh, here's a story in the mail by Kate McCurry. The Children's Minister has vowed to substantially cut the cost of childcare in the upcoming budget. Roderick O'Gorman said parents will see the benefit of frozen childcare fees and the investment in the national childcare scheme. What about raised wages and allowances for those who mind? our most important asset. They are leaving the industry in droves. He said there's very significant pressure on childcare professionals across Ireland. Do you think? He said there is a tradition, uh, transition fund to bridge the gap between employment wage subsidy scheme funding and the new €221 million Euro state funding scheme that will kick in from September. Why don't you just fund the creches uh, to pay their staff properly, to make a career of their devotion? And that's what I can't understand. A man has been fined for a fatal accident involving Yorkie. The owner of a small Yorkie terrier uh, was convicted for failing to keep it under control. Maybe it was a terror. After the dog ran onto the road and a passing cyclist died from a fall. The 63-year-old cyclist, Patrick O'Brien, from Carrignavar in County Cork, died after coming off his bicycle on Sunday, October 25th, 2020. And uh, that story makes the examiner uh, front page. Uh, let's go to the Independent. Hammer slipped out of my tracksuit bottoms and hit a man on the head. The attacker told Gardie. Two raiders who forced their way into a man's home and beat him with a hammer while his toddler's son slept upstairs have been jailed. The victim, Stefan Howey, was kicked, punched and hit over the head with a hammer before being knocked unconscious. The assault happened in his home in Swords in Dublin in the early hours of April 14th, 2018. And the attacker told Gardie, the hammer slipped out of my tracksuit bottoms and hit the man on the head. Uh, the Mail today has uh, ex-credit union manager faces €900,000 uh, theft charge. <clears throat> a former manager of a credit union in Dublin has been charged with a theft amounting to almost €900,000. Anne Butterley of Channel Road Rush appeared before Balbriggan District Court yesterday charged with 35 counts of theft 
on dates between uh, 2009 and 2016 from Rush Credit Union in North County, Dublin. Experts are urging caution. Many patients are seeking overseas dental treatments to save on cost. And I gave you some of the uh, really, really staggering differences uh, in getting a filling. €170 in certain places in Dublin. 35 euro in certain places in Donegal. Dental tourism is booming though after the pandemic with many Irish people choosing to travel abroad for treatment, most commonly to Turkey. Earlier this year, it was reported that dental clinics across Europe have noted a surge in bookings from Irish customers since the lifting of the COVID-19 travel restrictions. Just a couple more. 200 women in sex blackmail probe has the sun today. More than 200 women are being sextorted with cops probing the sick possible mass revenge porn scheme. You'll have heard about this on our news bulletins yesterday. The victims who are all believed to live in the Wexford area have found themselves put on a list by a series of anonymous Snapchat accounts. The women have been told the owners of the social media pages have gained access to their explicit images. But many of those named have not been asked for cash, it's believed. Instead, the blackmailers have told them they can have their own pictures removed in exchange for sharing images of other women. Uh, In some cases, friends or family members. It's understood some of the females were underage when the images were taken. And uh, Godfather star James Cann has died at the age of 82. Uh, great actor, uh, the legendary Godfather actor. He played Sonny, didn't he? Uh, Vito Corleone's son, Sonny. Uh, he came to a gruesome end as well, being shot on that uh, bridge in his car. The father of five became as well known for his love of parties, becoming a fixture of the Playboy Mansion of the 70s and 80s, as for his immense talents on the screen. His family announced his death last night, but did not give a cause of that. He had his brig uh, break in 1972, playing hot-tempered gangster Santino Sonny Corleone in the cult movie uh, with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. No, Robert De Niro wasn't in... Uh, that's wrong. Robert De Niro was in Godfather 2. He wasn't in Godfather 1, to my knowledge. Uh, of course, it's, uh, it's a classic movie. Uh, and Vito Corleone, uh, played by Marlon Brando. One final story. The majority, majority of us would quit our jobs if we had horrible bosses. Is your boss getting you down? Well, you're not alone, it seems, as some 75% of workers would leave or have left their jobs due to a difficult relationship with their manager. A new survey from taxback.com reveals that while 85% of employees feel valued by their current employers, to varying degrees, around one in six female workers say they don't feel valued at all. The report surveyed 1,500 employees in small and medium enterprises across Ireland. Those are the morning papers, 25 minutes past nine. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. And Neil Prenderville returns at nine o'clock on Monday morning. Some uh, quick incoming news. Sepp Blatter and Michelle Platini are cleared by a Swiss court after a six-year investigation for fraud into a payment of £1.6 million paid to uh, former UEFA president by FIFA in 2011. So Sepp Blatter and Michelle uh, Platini are cleared. Through our phone lines and Aoife Online 1. Hi, Aoife. Hi, Nick. How are you? Good. Now, your medical card was taken from you because you were over the threshold. You went back to work yes. part-time as a home help. Tell us all about it. Um, yeah, and I work um, max 12 to 15 hours a week, and the, I got my medical card reviewed, and yeah, just came back with the letter and just this big table in front of me. No, 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 no. There was, I, I was just, Gobsmacked, what the numbers and whatever, and yeah, I didn't even get the GP visit card or anything. 
So, so that's what I thought. It's because you went back to make just that little bit of extra uh, and offering yeah. offering as, assistance and support to someone as a home help. Yes, 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 yes. And so, um, now my husband works as well. He's a farmer, and I had to give in his details too. Um, and yet, nothing at all. So um, that's why I'm on this morning. Okay, and and you're not looking for free doctor visits or the odd occasional tablet to be given to you for free on the medical card. You've had part of your pituitary gland removed due to yes, a tumour yes. in 2012. So that tumour is still there? Yes, it is. Yeah, it is there. I am um, on tablets um, for the every day in my life until the day I pass away. I had to go for MRIs. Um, it's every three years now. It was every year, then two years. So they've extended it to three years. Is that because you're getting better or the resources aren't there? Um, that's just... Um, because they, I think they're just keeping an eye on the growth and the tumour. Okay. And my symptoms aren't changing. And in meanwhile, if my symptoms do change, go back and they'll do another, just review the, 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 the MRI or, you know, just do more tests. Okay. Now, how much is your medicine on a monthly basis? Um, I got it there the other day and it's coming in at 142 euros. And without the medical card, what sort of pressure will that put on you and the family? Uh, a lot. <laughs> so if that's, that's 142 a month, then it's uh, run a house. Um, then if I have to pay for an MRI, if I, if I need one within the three years, that's about whatever, what's, a, what's an MRI, 150 euros or 100 euros? I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of pressure, like trying to run a house and look after myself, not getting stressed, go out and do my day's work, which I enjoy. And, like, it's looking like if I give up work, maybe I'll probably get something back. Okay, so if you give up work, which you love and should be yep. entitled to do, uh, yep. you, you might get the medical card back. Are you on the drug scheme yep. where you pay no more than 80 euros a month for your drugs? I did. I applied the other day, so, um, yeah, I'm just waiting for that to come through. And the girl and the chemist told me what way to go about that. And, um, yeah, so just do that now and um, wait for the card to come through. Okay, so look, it's, it's, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a lot to lose for the yep. sake of going to work, but you should have an entitlement to work and be happy and feel productive and contribute to society. Yeah, I should, yeah. But Mick, it's like this. I, my illness is not going to go away tomorrow with a paracetamol. I have this the day I die. Um, they could at least give me something just to help me along. It's a it's, it's long life. Um, that's That's you know, it's, that's where I'm, I'm really annoyed about. Um, they gave me nothing, complete nothing, you know, just to, just to help me. It's just so, it's so, just so stressful. Like, but let, let, yeah. let me be the devil's advocate here on behalf yeah. of, of the listeners who may not be too pleased with this, okay? Yeah. Um, there, it, as, and as unfair as it may seem to you, there must be mm -hmm. a cut-off point somewhere. Uh, and if your husband is farming, and I'm not sure what mm -hmm. sort of income that would bring in, or even if it's a steady income, uh, you're not exactly at death's door financially because of this no, and and, no, and they no. must put a cut off point somewhere and they must execute their decisions uh, according to that line in the sand if you like yes 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 yeah I understand all of that but also Mick uh, yeah you know it's an, something I have and you know I just think they should help people that have the illness mm -hmm. um, you know like yeah I don't know I'm just yeah just very night over. Uh, well, I was talking yeah. to somebody yesterday who went uh, yeah. five five euros per week 
uh, over the uh, you know the allowance that you're or, yeah. or, or the threshold, if you like, uh, yeah. to to avail of certain back to school uh, schemes and the Susie scheme, uh, yeah. and and for that five or a week's costing thousands and thousands uh, in what would have been state support. Now it's not costing the state; it'll cost them. Um, yeah. But once again, I, I guess they all have to draw the line somewhere, or it's just going to be freebies for everybody. Um, yeah, on, yeah. You know what? It's not that I want anything free. I just even if they gave me, you know, even the GP visit card grant. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that at all. Or just give, there, there is another thing that you have. The um, you can apply for this. Um, oh, there's something else you can apply for. It's another scheme that, like, if you go for MRIs or treatment or something in the future, like, which which could happen to me because if my if my tumor grows. They'll either, I'll either have to go for radiotherapy or they go for the operation again. Yeah, well, so somebody who's had part of the pituitary gland removed, yes. uh, someone who's had a tumour, someone who yes. has to have ongoing MRIs to monitor yes. that tumour, uh, yes. I think at least should be given the GP visit card, whatever about yes. you know being means tested or, or assessed for the medical card full. Yeah, okay. yeah, I agree with you. Yes, I do agree. And especially with you someone who, who, if if they, uh, you know, w- when you mention drugs here, it's different than mentioning drugs in America. Drugs are medicine yeah. in America. Drugs are differently drugs here. So what I'm trying yeah. to say is, when you need to take that medicine for the rest of your life, and when if you don't take it, you will die. Uh, yeah, and with yeah. all of the extenuating circumstances, monitoring the past tumor, uh, yeah. whatever about the medical card, perhaps the, the the GP visit card would be correct for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, anything, yeah, just anything, just to help me along. That's all, you know. I'm not, I, I, just, just something, just give us back something, like because I think we pay enough taxes and everything, and just give us something, something. Yeah. That's all. Okay, you know? thanks a million. Yeah. Cheers, no Eva. Thanks. thanks. Bye uh, bye. Now, uh, over the last few days on social media, on WhatsApp, and in your, yeah, your memes group or in your comedy groups or family groups, you may have come across this guy who was uh, completely disheartened. Uh, by the interview process for a job in a hospital in Kerry. Now, it uh, contains some very choice language, uh, which we've had to, of course, for morning radio uh, remove or beep out. But uh, this is how he ranted uh, into his phone as he walked along uh, from the hospital in through a Kerry housing estate, uh, as to no wonder kind of the countries in the state it's in. How's it going, lads? Hope you're all having a good day. Um... Right, okay, I was in for second round interviews today for a job in the hospital in Tralee. It was only for a porter, you know, a, a linen porter, it was handy enough. Um, even though, like, I construction would be kind of my gig, you know what I mean? But look, I said this might be steady or whatever. So, I met with the HR today, showed there, another fella, they were showing me what to do in the job, you know. So, seven days on. Um, you'll end up anyway it's like 7 o'clock 7 in the morning till 2 5 days and then you have the um, then you have 4 hours on Saturday and Sunday whatever the crack anyway so right so 7 days on and 7 days off you know so it's 11 euros an hour and I went through I was explaining it was explained to me they don't pay overtime for the, for the weekends that's number 1 and it's 11 euros an hour now right so it's a flat rate across the board. So you're talking 360 quid, a bit of tax. You're talking about 330 or 40 euros. Now I assumed they might have a system. It's surely week on, week off kind of thing. You might get paid some bit, something in it for the second week. Some sort of incentive. So there's nothing. Now, I wouldn't be entitled to 
call either from social or nothing like so with with the working because it's classed as full time a full time you know, it's full time employment you know once you go over a certain amount of hours now correct me if I'm f***ing wrong like I'd be living off 175 euros a week working seven days for it like the country is f- no wonder the country's up f***ing heap do you know what I mean no wonder they can't get staff do you know and I'm not a lazy like do you know what I mean Um. like come on what the f*** is going on with the country at all? No wonder they can't get staff. 11 euros an hour for 35, 35 hours a week. Saturday and Sundays, no overtime, no nothing. And f*** all the following week. Do you know what I mean? Country's f***ed. No wonder. Anyway, I don't know who that is, but he's becoming a, a cult superstar uh, because that's been shared and shared and shared and we're happy to bring it to you on the air today. I also mentioned Jonathan Pye yesterday uh, and I'll play you Mr. Pye later if uh, the topic of Boris Johnson, Johnson comes up. I'll play it anyway. Uh, but I mentioned the longest sustained insult I ever heard against any one human being you could find on YouTube on Jonathan Pye about 10 minutes in. It's a 12-minute rant uh, against Boris Trump. Uh, and I, I said he's sure to come out uh, now that Boris is going, uh, well, not gone, but going, uh, and come out he did last night uh, outside the Houses of Parliament, and I can play that for you a little later on as well. Uh, right now, though, the t- time coming up on 21 minutes to 10 o'clock. We're back to the phone lines in a moment. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Gork's Red FM. My final day on the Neil Prenderville Show. Neil returns on Monday morning. We're going to play out with uh, a Cork rock star, Mark Daly, today. He's a very, very accomplished, uh, globally accomplished uh, rock star who uh, maybe hasn't been uh, that accomplished in his own place here in Cork. And I'll ask him why, uh, but he's certainly got the talent. Good morning, uh, Wendy here from Hanley's. Uh, Jim Hanley asked me to give you a text to say, well done on the radio. You've had, uh, we've had you blaring in both shops uh, for the last two and a half weeks. And fair play, you're well able. One of the hardest working guys in Cork. I remember selling a car to, he's a bit of a petrol head. Uh, I sold a car to Jim back in the 80s. Uh, Jim actually owns a Morgan that was owned by Richard Hammond uh, in, from Top Cure beautiful, beautiful car, but uh, I remember Jim selling coal from the back of a van, and now he has probably the most uh, valuable site in Cork, I'm I'm sure in my lifetime, uh, where the Hanley shops operate so successfully there, the garden centre and the seasonal store. There will be a sort of a red cow hotel. Uh, It's just right off the the Kinsale Road roundabout, and uh, every continued success to a man who worked hard and did it the right way. Uh, and gives great employment. Uh, good morning to all in Handleys, and thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for holding on. Jamie Good is on line two. Hi, Jamie. Hello. Hi. Now, your son Teddy was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. At twenty, yes, yes. At, this is at twenty weeks in the womb. That's right. Yeah. What sort of a huge shock was that to anybody? Uh, you're going in for what was, I suppose, ostensibly a normal scan. How, how was this detected? Um, yeah, it was just the normal, the normal for a scan that you do on babies, and uh, I did stitch like everything naturally, all the organs, and as they checked the heart, they could see that the right-hand side of his heart wasn't developing properly, you know. So, um, over time, every, we would go for more scans every couple of weeks and that, and as Teddy developed in the womb, then, you know, he was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So, you knew, um, you, you knew halfway through the, the, the pregnancy term uh, that there was going to be and I suppose you're you're wondering if he survives, uh, and and if so, there's going to be serious medical attention needed in in into the distance. 
Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we knew going through the pregnancy that it was a chance that, well, Teddy was going to have uh, three open-heart surgeries to kind of fix his heart and get it working properly for him. But as Teddy developed in the womb, his heart kind of, the abnormalities in it worked in his favour and it started to look like we didn't need one or two of the procedures at the start when he was first born, and he didn't. But he was going to need one open-heart surgery to help him, um, which he still is going to need within, within the near future, between a year, about a year, two years. Oh, okay, so that's that's coming up and that's going to be costly. Uh, but that's not all poor Teddy had to endure diagnosis-wise, is it? No, no, when Teddy was born then, within the first week uh, when he was in Crumlin, because he was born in the coombe, they, they took him to Crumlin to monitor his heart, um, and he started having his first bowel movements, they noticed it was an abnormality there, and it turns out Teddy was diagnosed with a condition called biliary atresia, um, which is where the bile flow doesn't um, get from the liver into the gut to help break down your foods and so forth. Um, so yeah, that was that was even a major shock because that was uh, more serious. Yeah, no. Um, well, well, I suppose it was more uh, impending danger immediately. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, for Teddy, wherever it was. Um, so we had we had to get working on that straight away. So the first thing was to do a biopsy to confirm 100% to his biliotresia. But that came with its own risks because of Teddy's heart condition, putting him under anaesthetic. You know, it, it was risky to knock him out to do a biopsy. So, But we did it anyway, and he got through that fine, and it did diagnose him with biliotresia. So our next step was to rectify that. And That's a liver transplant. Yeah. That doesn't happen here, does it, in children? No, first they sent Teddy for we went for a side procedure in Leeds, where they redirect, uh, they reconnect the liver to the, the gut, and hopefully that will get the bile flow going. But that that has uh, maybe a sixty seventy percent success rate, and in Teddy's case, it didn't work. Um, so our next option then was the liver transplant. And yeah, you're right; they don't do children's livers transplants in Ireland, so they have to go abroad for it. Um, normally, kids would go to Kings or to Leeds for this kind of thing. But with Teddy's heart condition, we had to go a bit further afield, and that's why we ended up in Belgium. Okay, and what happened there? Some of your liver was taken. Yeah, we went for assessment, and they, they figured out that I was a, a match for Teddy. So we went over, and they took 20% of my liver, my left lobe, and uh, transplanted it into Teddy. Um, and it's worked, yeah. It's, uh, he's thriving because of that now. No rejection, and he's a lot healthier looking and putting on weight and... Um, just becoming a little boy now, really, rather than an inebriated sick baby, you know. I, I think you're redefining the word family here and what it means. Uh, you're struggling through this together. Yeah, we are. I don't think, I wouldn't, I, you know, if people say that you're redefining family, but I was just concerned I'm just being a dad, you know. Mm. Um, I, I think any, any man out there who's, who's a good dad will do exactly what I did. I find I found it was one of the easiest decisions in my life to make, you know. Mm. Um, now, after the surgery, the pain and everything you go through, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, but I would still do it again, you know. Um, wow. And, and I think any parent would. I, I think, personally, I think it was one of the easiest decisions I've ever made. Okay. Uh, now, all of this, uh, I suppose, duty of care to your son also includes probably absences from work, uh, probably huge expenses. Did you get help from family? Uh, was there any charitable donations? Uh, up to date with the surgeries now, with more ahead of you, open heart surgery, how are things, expenses, costs, and bill-wise? 
Um, well, yeah, yeah, it can be quite extensive. We've had a lot of help from family. Grandparents came to Belgium for a couple of months while we did the transplant and looked after our other small child. While me and my wife, while, while I was in a hospital bed, Teddy was in ICU. My wife was with him. Um, but yeah, the bills um, add up. I mean, you know, even if you take that the child's healthcare is all paid for, you have to remember you have all the other bills, the flights, the accommodation, the ESP, your petrol for the car to drive up and down to Crumlin once a week, you know. Mm. Um, all these things add up and they can be tough on people. And one of the charities that helped us there was the Cleanest Foundation, where they recognise these medical expenses family have, like household bills and so forth. So they made a nice donation to us. And just a shout out to them to say thank you for that. And I hope people check out their website and see the good work they're doing. Call, hold their um, name out again clearly. The, the Cleanas Foundation. How do you spell that? Um, C-L-I-O-N-A-S. Cleanas. Oh, Cleanas Foundation. Yeah. C-L-I-O-N-A-S. Well, well done to them. Do you have overhanging bills now, overdue bills? We do, yes. Uh, we went to Belgium. We were treated like a Belgian, a Belgian citizen. And in Belgium, the citizens pay a percentage of the bills. So, yeah, we have the bills coming sporadically um, once a week, every two weeks. But they're mounting up, you know. And we use what savings we had for all our travel expenses and stuff for getting Teddy to the surgery and out of surgery and that. And now it's, it's just become overwhelming. And that's why we've turned and decided to do a GoFundMe. Okay. out there and we don't just want to um, help pay Teddy's medical costs for his liver and his heart we want to hopefully let this explode really big and if we get way over our goal um, we're going to take it and try to help other families in our situation you know so uh, maybe maybe start family. your own foundation I've been thinking about it yeah I really really have if this really goes really big into the hundreds of thousands I'm sure I think I might just set up my own foundation in Teddy's name and start trying to help families with their medical expenses. How old is Teddy, Jamie, and how's he doing now? He's uh, 19, uh, just coming up 19 months now, and he's uh, thriving. He's doing very well from the liver transplant, no rejection. Um, he's enjoying life. But like that, we still have the heart to get to, you know, one one step at a time, you know. Um, but this was the big one. Um, if he didn't have the liver transplant uh, four or five months ago, I don't think he'd be here right now, you know. Okay. He was, he was that close. Uh, well, I don't, 100% he wouldn't have been here by Christmas yeah, th- th- thankfully that worked thankfully you were a match and thankfully you were uh, prepared to go under the, the knife to uh, you know give your child uh, a, at least a fighting chance to go for the heart procedure well you're right there they're the words I would use myself yeah that's all we've been trying to do is give him um, a fighting chance you know and to get to get him to this heart procedure and get him through the heart procedure and then just give him a chance at life you know um, and then hopefully one day 10, 20 years from now, medical science will evolve and we'll be able to help him even more, you know? That's yeah. all we've been trying to do from day one is just buy Teddy time. Okay. Get what, him more time. What, what do you work at, Jamie Good, or are you still working? Um, I, I'm a steel fixer by trade and construction. I worked in Norway and in Ireland for years, but with Teddy's diagnosis and him needing a full-time carer, carer I came home and became his carer. So I'm Teddy's full-time carer now, you know? Okay, so that's another lack of income. Yeah, yeah, we've lost, we've lost my income there. Um, my wife's on maternity leave at the moment from work, so her income is down there as well because of that. But she will go back to work um, as soon as maternity end, leave ends. How, how do you? Um, how do you? Well, you seem, but how do you seem so positive in the face of such attrition to the family budget, to the family well-being? Uh, you know, your state of mind because you're obviously worrying. 
uh, and trying to care and provide for Teddy. Are, are there dark days? Because you sound like you're you're facing it bravely. Yeah, there are dark days. Um, there's a dark days. So everything, but to be honest, I just trying to take a deep breath and get beyond that, you know. Um, because Teddy's still got to be a wee boy, you know. He's still got to smile and laugh and play, and that's what he does, you know. Okay, how, how's his little heart coping? For now, it's uh, coping quite well. Um, but there, uh, as Teddy grows, uh, gets bigger and grows and starts moving and walking, that's going to put more pressure on his heart to, to work harder. And that's when the intervention's going to have to happen, you know. So for now, he's very stable with his heart. But I like that as he becomes more of a toddler and a wee boy, mm. it, it's going to be time to go for the, the heart surgery. Someday, Teddy will realise the huge sacrifices that you, you as a family, have uh, have made for him and will continue to make. I imagine. Very much so, but um, I like to I like to think um, that any family would make it. I mean, I seen a, a clip recently. Uh, if, uh, some father in the US done something to save his daughter, but somebody said. You're a hero, you know, and I have a sponsor I'm no hero, I'm a dad. Yeah, fair play, you, you've said that already, and, and strong words indeed. So I, I know you're looking ahead way into the future and having hundreds of thousands to help other children. Uh, right now, though, uh, in starting your, your GoFundMe, you're, you're actually reaching out for help. Is there a certain element of saying, okay, this is a serious situation, I'm going to have to swallow my pride and ask for a little help? Yeah, there was. Um, that kind of came into play because... Um, we, we we need to pay the bills for Teddy's liver transplant because we want to take him back for his heart to be done in um, Belgium because they've got great experience there. And we didn't want the lack of bills not being paid to, you know, to damage us in their eyes or for them to say, we're not going to treat Teddy because you're not covering your expenses. So that's why we, we set up the GoFundMe was to make sure that we pay the bills for the hospital, that they're they're happy and they're happy with us and that we can return to them. And how can and, people access the GoFundMe, Jamie? Um, right now, if you if you go straight to GoFundMe, um, it's own website, you can do, do it through that. Um, it's it's on social media, through Facebook. It's been sent out there. The Cork, the Cork Bio have a, a link as well. Uh, we're hoping that we can speak with the Evening Echo and see will they have to write a piece on Teddy and have a link for people to go through it there. Um, okay, yeah, is, is it under Teddy Good on uh, on GoFundMe or what? We have it down as a medical bills, Teddy's liver transplant. And uh, there's a lovely photograph from up there as well, you know, in the bed in the hospital. Um, so I, I think if you go to GoFundMe and you just type in Cork, Teddy will come to the top of the list. Okay. Uh, and I believe there uh, is €23,309 already raised. The goal for this first tranche, if you like, is 60000 So nearly halfway there, but not quite. Maybe 40% there. Yeah, yeah. We, we like to hit 60000 because the bills are still coming. And I, I've spoken and I can't, I can't get a full estimate of what it's going to be, but it's going to get high. Um, so, yeah, if we hit our goal and... Even if we just hit the goal and there's anything left over, we're going to give that away to other people in need as well that need help. And okay. if we break the goal... I, I've, to I've got to leave it there, Jamie, but well done for everything you've done and well done for everything you will continue to do for your son and for your family uh, and for all the sacrifices made thus far. Medical bills for Teddy's liver transplant on GoFundMe. Best of luck, Jamie. Keep in touch with the programme and let us know how you're getting on, will you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you Thanks. Good morning. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM. Time for one qu- uh, more quick caller before uh, news at 10 o'clock. Amy, good morning. 
Hey, how are you doing? Very good. Now you're on about our ranter on the Kerry Hospital. You think he's a bit of a waster, yeah? Oh, completely. Yeah. Why? So, like, don't get me wrong, the conditions he pointed out are, you know, atrocious. Having somebody work seven days on and nothing for the following day. Um, I don't think he'd even be covered on those X's and O's, you know, the part-time worker thing to get yeah. uh, supplementary. I think it, it probably falls between the cracks for social welfare on the on the days you're not working because you're working seven days the week before. Yeah, I think it has to be, you know, three days or something in one week and three days another week. Um, but like that aside, his remark said he wanted something more stable. The construction is his main gig. You can't get construction workers at the moment. So if his construction is his main gig and he's not able to source work through that there's something seriously wrong like it took me a year and a half to get two builders in to do a job in my house I'm waiting since January to get a carpenter and it took me like a month and a half to get a, a plumber to come out and service my boiler yeah maybe it's maybe it's the physical element of construction he wants to get away from and do something you know a little more stable indoors uh, with a winter approaching kind of thing yeah like cause it's, uh, construction is paying great at the moment like there's not one construction worker out there can say they're on you know, a, a bad wage. The price to get jobs done now is is crazy. You know, within my line of work, I see what their their fees are, what they're charging, what their turnover is. So, you know, again, I just it doesn't make sense his comments. I think he just went, you know, on a mad one and had a rant. And Amy, would you would you mind if, if, would you mind discussing those struggles to find labour uh, after ten o'clock news? I must go for ten o'clock news now, but uh, maybe come back for us for a quick chat after that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right, okay, thanks. And don't forget, it's Free Food Friday as well uh, with Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas. More details after the news at 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And um, we'll try and get back to Amy in a few moments. We've got Morris first on line two. Hi, Morris. How are you doing there, Mick? Very good. You reckon there's now a very big problem here in Ireland regarding low pay? Yeah, we have a very, very serious problem regarding low pay. And you can see that in, in Dublin Airport now where they're, you know, offering, you know, puny uh, kind of wages to, to security staff. And they, they have a big security problem up there because they just can't get them. And I think this country has really run its race when it comes to um, low pay. It, it's a huge problem. I mean, it, I mean, security staff now, are, the minimum wage there is eleven sixty five an hour. I mean, after tax and after inflation, you're talking about four euros or something like that. It's just buttons. Like, we have a problem with low pay, and I can tell you, the the country is slipping into mediocrity. You had that guy there, I think he's some kind of a cult guy, and he was kind of making the same kind of comment. Just just an ordinary worker looking to change out uh, roles from construction into being a linen porter uh, and being told he had to work seven days a week and then seven with no pay. Yeah. It's getting to the point now here where we're talking about white slavery. Now, white slavery is in this country at the moment, in my, in my opinion. There's massive exploitation of the working classes in this country. They, they want to pay people absolutely nothing. They will have no life. They will be working so, seven days a week. I mean, it, it's time for government intervention here and, and stop this, to, to either to, to, to lift the minimum wage up considerably uh, from, from, the, from the buttons that, that, that they're paying. Otherwise, I don't see the country moving on at all. Anyway, they, they, they just can't get them. If you look at any uh, job website out there at the moment, like Indeed.com, you have got Dublin Airport there like, and they're just advertising left, right and centre for security people across the board in one form or, or another because of the pay issue. Yeah, there are qualified security staff who have been laid off 
And part of that uh, contracted layoff, if you like, is that they can't come back and work at the airport. Many of them would happily do it as consultants, but I think the, uh, the thought of them working alongside their former colleagues who didn't take the, uh, the, the offer... Uh, may raise some anger. I wonder could they uh, act as consultants in any of the other airports? Now, Cork Airport is uh, is run by the DAA. Uh, what if we were to uh, uh, maybe help, and I know we're helping the DAA in Dublin uh, with some Cork Airport security staff, but surely these uh, people in Dublin could be redeployed to Shannon or uh, or Knock, or maybe we could help that way. Well, there are, look, what I'm saying here is that they're advertising for people. Like, if what you're saying is correct, then they shouldn't really be advertising for people that they have what you call contractual issues with, with the, the employers, the, excuse me, the, the employees that they have at the moment, and they need to sort all that out. But they shouldn't be wasting people's time so uh, advertising for these, these, these particular positions. And, and there's, a, there's copious numbers of them, and it's, a, it's not alone in Dublin Airport, it's across the board in the security industry, where low pay is such a huge, huge problem. And why are these staff walking away from these jobs anyway? And I, I think at the end of the day, they're just paid so little. They're asked, they're asked to do so much, and there's no job satisfaction there, and they have no. Well, life. A, a lot of them got a golden handshake going out. I, I've asked Amy to hold on, so stay with me, Morris. Just want to bring Amy back in here. Uh, you, you, you taught that lad who was wanting to change from construction into being a linen porter at eleven euros an hour uh, was a waster. Do you still hold that thought? Like, as I say, you you can't guess you can't get people in construction to do work at the minute uh, in the sense like they're all booked out. They're so busy that they're turning down work left, right and centre. You have people will say, if you rewind 10 years ago, you would have people going out to work, you know, during the day, they're doing their normal, you know, eight to six with their employer and they're doing their, their fosters themselves in the evening for people. People aren't even doing that anymore because they don't need to. The money is there. They're, the prices are up, their pay is up, the, you know, the cost of materials is up. So the, the amount of work that is there for construction, and I see it myself, like people, people can't get employees in, in the sector just because there's such a, a lack of them. I, I, let, let me give you, I, I can't be specific here, but I've got a friend who's planning a major extension on his house, which is large enough already, all right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, the prices are ridiculous. And I mean absolutely ridiculous. Uh, for ground works, something like four times uh, what uh, what was budgeted for. Do you know yeah. how? Do you know how much she was quoted to get the whole house painted inside and out? Now it is a big house. It's not a semi D or anything like that. Have a guess. Oh, I, I, uh, Expe- expecting about twenty five grand. Expecting about twenty five grand. You know what the quote was? Expecting about twenty five grand. I'd say about forty eight. A hundred and twenty. Oh, my God. It's just, it's gone ridiculous. And as you say, Morris, just hang on a second. Uh, Amy, tell me what skills you you needed, uh, what was wrong and needed to be fixed in your house, and how long it took you to get those skills. So I bought a house three years ago, and I decided to get a chimney, a fireplace removed out. I got the wall blocked up, and I had a stove uh, in the room with a pipe going out at the back of the stove. So it was a massive 25-kilowatt stove. Um, I couldn't get a fire guard for, because it was so big. Um, so I decided I never used to light it for fear that my child would trip and stick to it if it was on. Um, so I decided I wanted to get the wall opened up and get the stove recessed into the wall. So literally to get that wall open back up, um, I had a plumber that was said, whenever I get a builder, he'll, he'll move the pipe. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to get the, the skills? Oh, I think Amy's moved into a bad area. Okay, we'll have to leave that one there. Morris, you're still with us? 
Yeah, yeah. On the issue of if the problem is inflation, let's assume at the moment it didn't pay its inflation. We have got to tackle the issue of inflation in this country. It's soaring out of control. It's causing a lot of problems across the economy, and we need government intervention. And if we need to bring in price controls, if the government needs to bring in price controls, then that's exactly what's going to, that needs to happen. Now that we're prepared to do that after the, the Celtic Tiger went, went bust, and I think it's time to start looking at that again because people just it's unsustainable. In my, in my, it's, it's going to lead to economic collapse, collapse if it goes any further. Yeah, I'm old enough to have lived through the 80s recession and I saw how, uh, you know, my own parents struggled or whatever. I saw people struggling in our hometown. I saw very, very long dole queues. Uh, at the time, I was working for £59 a week. Um, but yeah. £59 a week uh, back in the 80s as your take-home pay would do one thing at least. It would take you home. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. about all the wage does these days is get you home. Yeah, we need more competition in this country. Let's get rid of the cartels and the monopolies. The housing market, for instance, is is very, very monopolised. There's a lot of a lot of you know unethical issue, unethical problems going on there. The, the price of a house, of course, will set set the price of everything else underneath it, because you know, house prices really. Uh, direct, uh, you know, inflation in the economy that can be a very, very big mover. We need, we need to deal with all, that, and that's going to take government. And, uh, and I think really what we need is an election and, and get these guys out because they're making no difference. Well, you know, there, there, there are supply chain issues. There's, a, there's a major imbalance in containers and in their location around the world. Uh, container traffic has gone up, uh, or container traffic costs have gone up by about three hundred percent in the last year. When the supply chain is adding in all of these. Uh, re- related costs to, to actually landing stuff on this island, and then it has to be you know there has to be a profit margin there. The builders, providers have to have to make their margin to keep their people in employment. You know when when the cost of supply chain for materials is drastically going up, uh, house prices can come down. Well, it'll take on, you see, you see this country, the government stepped away from the whole housing projects in this country, and they left they they, they left it to the market, and they left it to a very slick. Uh, private housing market and the vulture funds and all the rest of it. They, they left it all, to all that and that's what we've been living under for, for God knows how long. So they really have to bring public housing back into it. Otherwise I don't think there'll be any future for anybody in this country because they can't get on the housing that young couples coming up like they're absolutely crippled. There is no living in this country anymore and perhaps we should seriously consider going back into the United Kingdom because I think this whole Irish independence thing has been a complete and utter disaster from the word go and we should look at, at alternatives. We really should look at alternatives because I don't see any future in this country. The, the working classes are finished in this country. They, they, the only hope that they have is welfare because things are just so incredibly expensive. They, they really have no life. They have to work seven days a week, shifts, rosters, the, the whole lot. And, you know, you, you've got people at the top, they get hundreds of thousands and, and they can do whatever they want. We have, we're living in a two-tier society, a two-tier island. The medical system is about the middle, middle class the middle classes, you know, if, you, if you've got private health insurance, you're, you're okay, you'll be given the right carpet treatment. If you're a medical card holder, well, you know, you're on the, the other tier and you're going to wait forever and you're going to suffer forever. And, and that's the way it is. I mean, do, do people really want to go on with this dreadful, dreadful, dreadful system and this dreadful country? That's what I'd like to know. That's the groundswell of opinion we're getting in text as well, that people are now despairing beyond despair uh, as to what future lies here, not just for them, but for their children. 
Yeah, they, they, what, what, what future do people really have in this country? They, they will just spend an enormous amount of time in school. It'll be very, very expensive. There may or may not be a job there for the, they, they, if they've got enough pull, maybe they can get into a job in this country. I mean, they, it's a very tight employment market anyway, and they'll probably, if they want to type a career beyond agriculture or pharmaceuticals or something, they'll have to leave the country because we've got such a narrow business model. We've got a lot of monopolies out there. And again, we don't, we don't have government. The question I want to, want to ask, is do the government want the government? What is this country? We need to ask some philosophical questions now about where do we go from here? The country is going bust from, from inflation and all kinds of political and social and economic problems. Where do we go from here? Okay, we're going to take some more callers on it. I've got Dan waiting on line three. Um, I, I remember the brain drain of the late 80s as well. Do you remember that? And and Ireland was then uh, on its knees, the 80s recession. And recessions kind of come around every 30, 40 years. We had one again in 2008, if you remember, uh, when, we yeah. had to, when we had to bail out the banks. But af- after the brain drain came a very, very positive time in Ireland's uh, history. Uh, and I'm not being flippant here. Uh, I, I lay a lot of that responsibility for the positivity at the, at the feet of the great Jack Charlton, do you remember Italian 90? When the whole country lifted, we got a whole new set of confidence in ourselves, a whole new set of belief in ourselves. It was a anyone-can-do-it attitude. Uh, we all coalesced, and, and so was born the Celtic Tiger. I'm not saying Jack's fully responsible for that, but, uh, you know, the economic circumstances had to be there for it too. But it certainly did help, didn't it? Um, I, 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 th- I think it's short-lived. It's, it's illusionary. And at the end of the day, after the football is over, after the, the Cups have been won, and all the rest of it, it's back to the grind. It's back to paying off the, the big bloody mortgages and the banks ripping people off. After, after all the dust settles, after all the goals have been and all, and all the media hype and all the rest of it, they have to go back to, to a job where they're, some dead-end job where they're, where, where they're, they're flat-out broke. And I know guys that, that even going to pharmaceutical factories, they've been there for 20 years and their lives are no better now than what they were 20 years ago. All this foreign direct investment, they think that's the way to go. We know that the profits and the taxes are going outside the country. So what are we really getting out of it? We need to look at the whole business of government in this country. We definitely need to have an election in this country to, 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 to sustain a society that's becoming unsustainable. The suicide rate is phenomenal. All, all, all I see people is going for on suicide marches. I mean, look, look at the place. Like, it, it, it is in a bad, this country is in a bad way. And we bloody need an election. We need to look at the whole issue of housing and give everybody a chance, not those in the middle classes, a middle class Ireland for middle class people. What about the people at the bottom being paid eleven sixty five an hour before taxes? Do you, think, Mary, no do you think Mary Lou MacDonald and Sinn Féin will force that election tonight? Do you think they have the numbers? That's why they called this sort of untimely. Uh, it might be timely when you look at what's happening across the water. Uh, maybe the scent of blood is in the air, as I said to her this morning. Uh, but do you think this is timely to call a motion of no confidence in the government at this critical juncture? Uh, absolutely, but I don't say I. I, I, I think Sinn Féin will capitalise on anything anyway, j- j- just to get in. Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin need to, need to, to look at the whole issue, um, look at themselves and where they're going. They, we know they want to unite Ireland. I would say to Sinn Féin, if you want to unite Ireland, then, then you have to come up with something better than the Irish Health Service. I mean, they have the NHS up in Northern Ireland. Um, there, there's no way in the world they're going to give up that. The Nationalists won't give it up. The Unionists won't give it up. So we're, if, if they want that, and Sinn Féin are always going after a United Ireland anyway, if they want that, they're going to have to fix the Republic. I would say to Sinn Féin, listen, Sinn Féin, if you want a United Ireland, fix this Republic before you even dream 
about talking about Northern Ireland. That's what I would say to them. Okay, strong words. Thanks, Morris, for your input. I want to move on to Dan. Thank you, Morris. Uh, I mentioned the 30-year cycle, Dan. You're saying the unions were saying for 30 years now we're in a race to the bottom. Are we at the bottom? race to the bottom. Are we at the bottom? Long ago. And unions, I didn't hear any more union officials uh, mentioning about race race to the bottom, um, Mike. And you had... Remember there during the height of the boom, how many unifers were appointed onto banking boards and and the central bank? If, if there was union officials appointed on there, should, should, should their loyalty was gone straight away? They don't care about people earning less than 30,000. And, and I'm jumping around here, no, not that knows all that. But when I hear people talking about the middle class, what are middle class earners? What would you think? What would you class middle class earning? I don't know, I'd venture maybe 50 grand and above. Yeah, and yeah, and above 50, I'd say 50 or 60. You have the gov. You Leo was on last week, and I think he mentioned 40. So if you had 40,000, 40, we have something like over half, nearly five, over half a billion workers earning less than 30,000, and with 30,000, 600, they were on the week about, on John Week about the 600,000, People are only barely existing on sixty, on six hundred euros a week. When all the cuts, uh, when all the thing, when all the tax and is taken out of that. So where do I, we I go from here? I, I I said to Minister Michael McGrath during the week, the unions have been spectacularly quiet here compared to what they've been. Uh, I heard you. I heard you on with Michael McGrath. Uh, Make I did that. I did. But what I can't. And another thing now, I'm going jumping around again here now. Would ever somebody would ever anybody in the country stand up and say what in the hell are we paying massive bonuses to people that are leaving with massive pensions I came across an article there a couple of years ago and I have I was looking at it the other day where 31 people in top jobs in the country I look I, I name the both judges between the whole 31 of them they got something like 8 million euros on bonuses Plus massive, and the headline was "Lot of Win on Pensions," and it was on one of the one of the papers. The amount of money they got on bonuses it was like winning the lotto, and massive pensions as well. And every all the top people doing that, you have the top civil servants in the country get massive, massive pensions, and appointed onto boards, boards all over the country. Okay, we've we've seen what happened to Boris Johnson over the last few days. Now, there's a man with a brash, overt, fully public, unapologetic sense of entitlement. Do you think think our politicians here have that same sense of entitlement, but it's smug, it's understated, it's sort of subverted? Like, I was listening to now the last couple of weeks, and they were being questioned by journalists about this thing, and they're agreeing with what the journalists are saying, that the country is going through, they're agreeing with the journalists, but they're doing nothing. They're agree- so how, they had to be, they had to be dragged, dragged through everything in order to give the back to school bonuses. Yeah, that's, that's, dragged. that's coming out next week and, and an extra 100 on it, but it's, 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 yeah, un- and then, it's a drop in the ocean then, really compared to what's needed. And exactly. And then that's mean sets as well. Am I right on that? It, I think it's mean, mean sets. I don't think it goes across yeah, the board means, to everybody. It's not, you see, and they have to be dragged through everything to in order to a lot to, of people calling for the means testing of children's allowance now because a lot of that is going to people who don't need it at all Bushworth is the same member the 200 euros the the, 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 the speech uh, we got from 200 they give that to everyone 
Oh, everybody, yes, I know. Uh, I, yeah, I, and yeah, i got to go, Dan. Any final comments? I just have, I hope somebody will do something about these massive, massive bonuses on top people coming out with massive, massive pensions. Okay, uh, you know, p- people say that uh, going on social welfare here for some, uh, I'm not trying to target anybody, for some is a career choice. Um, is is in, 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 in the same vein, is, is entering public life, if you do strive to be a Choctaw or above a minister or a Taoiseach or a Tónishta, is it a sort of an overt way of saying, look, I'm going on the pension trail uh, and I'm doing it under the guise of public service and I'm not doing it a service to all the good working and hard working politicians. Um, but, but they're so well looked after for staying look, so little time in the spotlight. Mike, if you're retired and make a five is retired, I am retired. A five is retired now and I was getting uh, 600 euros a week pension. That is, am I, am I right saying that? That's 30,000 euros, is it? Yeah, 30,000, yeah, it depends if it's yeah, taxed. Yeah, No, if, you, if I had 600 euros, 600 euros a week pension, I'd be a millionaire, millionaire. Because, you, because getting, your bills are paid? Yeah, All that's right. the point. Of, and there's people getting 40 times that much. <laughs> Uh, I've got to go because I've got an MEP, away, I've got a member of the European Parliament holding on the other line. I need to get to that very quickly. Thanks. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Now, hoping to revisit a number of yesterday's topics with our next caller, Green Party MEP for Ireland South and member of the Oceans and Fisheries Committee at the European Parliament, Grace O'Sullivan, joins us on the line. Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Neil. It's make, actually, but uh, that happens all the time. Don't worry about it. Um, now, the EU Parliament yesterday voted down the objection to divisible sustainable as a label for nuclear and gas. I interviewed Billy Kelleher yesterday on this topic. Uh, I'm sure you'll have something to say on that. Um, but uh, as I said to Billy, I'll say to you, it's a very complicated subject. C- can we decomplicate it, please? Uh, uh, you know, just so we can all understand uh, what's going on here. Yeah, um, I'm, so good morning, Mick. I'm sorry about that. But, That's no problem. Um, yeah, yeah, so we had a vote in the European uh, Parliament in Strasbourg this week, and it was a vote. It, the topic, it sounds uh, complex, but it's not. It's, it, it was on what they call EU taxonomy, and it's meant to provide investors and policymakers with um, guidance in terms of uh, investing in environmentally sustainable activities into the future. So that's what it was in a nutshell. Um, and so, um, you know, we in, in the Green Group in the European Parliament, we were saying um, that there was an anomaly because uh, they had added nuclear and green in the mix as, or sorry, nuclear and, and, gas. Gas in the mi- and gas in the mix as a sustainable like green, green um, uh, environmentally uh, sustainable activities, and we in, uh, were saying, and so, and actually, several other of the groups who were in agreement with us were saying that, look, this is to guide uh, future investments. So do not muddy the waters by adding nuclear and gas, because that essentially is incorrect. There are not uh, environmentally clean or sustainable ways of uh, investments. And the other thing was that um, it wasn't just us that was saying that, but there was um, uh, expert groups to the European Commission, there was um, large investment uh, uh, institutes who were all, all agreeing and saying, look, keep, keep this simple. 
a sustain, environmentally sustainable green activities are renewable energies. Do not put, do not muddy the waters. Okay, so, so to simplify, to simplify it, there was an objection to uh, the uh, divisive sustainable label being put on nuclear and gas. It was voted down. Ergo, the EU is now calling nuclear and gas sustainable. So they're putting them in the same, uh, in the same corral, if you like, as wave, wind, solar power. So they are putting it in there. Um, now they're arguing that they're they're putting it in because they're sustain are their transitional fuels. But the point we were making is we want security um, for investors, so they know when they're genuinely investing in uh, green um, sustainable activity that it is exactly that, and it's not that they're not investing any more into the future in gas or nuclear because of the huge problems we have with gas as a greenhouse gas emitter. Um, so in terms of accelerating climate change and then and global warming. And then the other thing in terms of nuclear, the issue there is the fact that we, we have not resolved the problem of the waste around uh, nuclear. Um, and um, even, you know, if we look at somewhere like uh, Chernobyl, you know, we've seen uh, the impact of the accident there back in 1986. But not only that, Mick, we see today that Chernobyl has almost become a weapon in itself uh, as the, the, the war rages in mm-hmm. Ukraine. OK, now, as Billy Keller has said yesterday, our aspiration here is to carbon neutrality by 2050. And if we need to build a bridge to get there, and if that bridge includes labelling nuclear and gas, look... You, your preaching is converted here. How can you call gas a sustainable resource when, it, when it's a finite supply? You can't sustain gas forever. But for the 30 years or 28 years that's left, uh, to label them for investment as sustainable, if that's the bridge that gets us to 2050 and carbon neutrality, shouldn't you be happy with it? But you see, this is the problem. It's the fact that they were labelled in that green, environmentally sustainable category. That's the pro- that was the, the crux of the issue. We were saying... Scrap this taxonomy as is, bring it back and, and put nuclear and gas into an entirely different category. So do not, do not mislead the investors, do not mislead uh, people generally to say nuclear um, and gas are uh, sustainable. Uh, and that was our objective is to try to try to genuinely create that label that, uh, of sustainable activity as as what it is because Mick, the thing is if we don't this isn't about the transition really it's about labeling because if we don't uh, guide um, investments into renewable clean energies and particularly for us in Ireland where we have a massive uh, wind resource uh, if we if we don't scale up if we don't invest and scale up in those resources you know what's going to happen there's 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 kind of loopholes so when the investor goes to decide, okay, well, where's where's the um, sustainable uh, activity? Well, the European U- uh, Commission has just called, um, uh, and the European Parliament has just called nuclear and gas sustainable. And, and that's then, that's that's w- the real nub of the issue. Let's hear Billy Kelleher, absolute nub. If, if you don't mind, uh, Grace O'Sullivan, MEP. Let's hear Billy Kelleher talking about them as transitionary fuels. Uh, 
Um, a lot of people were very opposed to the transitionary proposal, which would include uh, natural gas as a transitionary fuel. It is cleaner than coal, it is cleaner than oil, but it is not, uh, it is not uh, you know, a fully cleaned uh, source of energy. But it's at not the same green. Time, it is a transition. It isn't it's green, it's green, a fossil it fuel. Is, Yes, but it's it's more sustainable. And I think the proposal was, and I think people should just look at the proposal and what it said. It said that gas would be a transitionary phase. In other words, gas, if it was to replace coal and oil, would be allowed as seen as being sustainable in a transitionary phase until such times that it would be phased out at a future date. Uh, so it, it's a stepping stone rather than being a bulwark of what we will be using to generate electricity uh, in the years ahead. So it was a transitionary uh, stage. Also, coupled with that was the issue around nuclear energy and it, it came as a package uh, you couldn't just vote for gas or, or, or nuclear it was either for the two of them or, or, or against the proposal and nuclear is a very divisive issue it's a very emotive issue but there is a, a simple fact that has to be looked at uh, and, and taken into account when making any decisions around electricity in Europe and that is that half the carbon free electricity generated in Europe any day um, is uh, from nuclear power. Twelve countries have it, um, and it is car- carbon-free in terms of generation of electricity. So, in, a, in essence, Green Party MEP Grace O'Sullivan, they got nuclear over the line by cobbling it in with gas. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that was uh, another problem for us. Um, you know, um, and just to say, Mick, that, that not everyone's happy because Luxembourg and Austria, those countries and Greenpeace are, are going to challenge um, this outcome. But um, look, it, it's really problematic because the, the gas, uh, what we're saying is, you know, uh, we understand that, you know, that there will be a transition phase. That's not the problem. What we're saying is, no, please, no more uh, investments in uh, um, technologies that are creating a, an environmentally sustainable problem for us. And like, Mick, we had uh, youth activists, we had not only youth, other um, activists outside the par- parliament, we had Ukrainians contacting us over the last uh, few weeks saying, that this has basically given the green light to Russia to continue uh, flowing gas into European countries because investors are going to look for opportunity. Um, and in terms of the nuclear from an Irish perspective, I mean, we've, we've been very much uh, a strong anti-nuclear country, country for years. Um, and, uh, you know, again, we have a massive problem with waste. So why not send a signal, positive signal from the European Parliament this week. That's what we were hoping, just to guide investors so that they're actually um, going down the path, a, a positive path into the future. And it'll be good for Ireland. It'll be good for, you know, in terms of clean energy. Uh, it'll be good for, for the planet as well. So, okay, let's hear, uh, let's, let's yeah. one short clip from Billy Keller uh, talking about how we get to being carbon neutral. I think everybody, those that opposed the, the, the proposal or supported it, uh, we're all in agreement in how, in, that we must get to carbon neutrality by 2050. The question is, how do we get there? How do we transition ourselves from dependency on coal and oil? And bear in mind, as we speak, Germany is now firing up coal-burning plants again because of the fact that um, Russia has uh, turned down the flow of gas uh, to, to Germany. So we don't want to be going to a, back to a stage where you know we are opening up coal-burning plants. We want to get from coal uh, and oil dependency uh, through to gas to renewables and eventually to a stage where we're not using fossil fuels anymore. We have no liquefied gas supply in this country, principally, I believe, because your your party leader, Eamon Ryan, has said uh, that the uh, 
the wind generating will get there, but that won't get there for a couple of decades. Uh, can I put it to you uh, as a Green Party MEP, Grace O'Sullivan, that the ideologies of the Green Party uh, are now under pressure because people are to the pin of their collar uh, with fuel prices, supply chain prices, and everything really going up, transport costs, etc., uh, and this very unpopular carbon tax, uh, as noble as it may seem, uh, is possibly going to have an adverse effect on the Green Party's popularity. Look, uh, Mick, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge the role that renewables are playing in Ireland and across Europe, that, that they are scaling up, that they are cleaner, cheaper, faster than um, uh, other uh, uh, climate, uh, global warming, accelerating fuels, or the problem with nuclear. So, my own view is very much that we have to we have to keep on the path of trying to push uh, uh, energy means that will give will uh, be better for the environment, better for people in general. And it's not decades away, Mick, because we're already seeing in Ireland, and we we haven't even scaled up. That the wind is really um, it's giving us uh, great capacity. So that's specifically the reason we want to see the investment flowing in that direction and not continue, uh, like Billy says, not continue pumping more uh, money into uh, energy sources okay. that uh, are going to keep uh, uh, creating big problems and particularly for future generations. Okay, there's, there's one more topic I want, I want to get to, yeah. Grace O'Sullivan. It's very important. Uh, one of the most compelling interviews I've done on this programme happened yesterday with a guy called Pat Murphy. One of the most compelling sound bites I've ever heard anyone say, uh, and, and I'm a big fan of mariculture, aquaculture, um, marine tourism, fishing, angling. Uh, once again, you know, as Tom, I, I keep repeating it, but it's a great line. Uh, as former RTE uh, uh, worker uh, Tom McSweeney said, we stand with our backs to the ocean here. Uh, but one of the most uh, compelling lines yesterday was when Pat Murphy, who was representing fishermen, said, we are becoming an island nation who won't be able to catch fish. Uh, just please have a listen to what Pat said. I said, Minister, I do not want to sound disrespectful, but we're pleading with you. We're on life support. This money is here. Europe has sanctioned it. Not only the European Commission, but the European Parliament. Ten people said no, 610 said yes, nine abstained. That was the vote in the European Parliament. I don't think anything got such a vote in Europe as that. And we do not have a minister or a government department that identifies the real risk to this industry that's there. We have boats tying up. Why would somebody with a boat worth millions of euros tie it to the pier wall? No, that plenty fish outside there. That, that was directed at uh, Charlie McConlogue, who comes from a fishing stronghold in Donegal, Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine. There's five and a half million to help our Irish fishermen, already sanctioned and given by the European Parliament. And Charlie McConlogue apparently said, Errol, think about giving it to you. Yeah, absolutely uh, agree with Patrick Murphy there. The EU, like this week, we, we sanctioned like nearly six million euros, which could absolutely help Irish fishing industry um, to to support the, the hardship they're facing, not only COVID, not only the, the war in Ukraine, but generally it, like they're in a very, very difficult situation. So I, I've been pushing a member, a full member of the, the Ocean Fisheries Committee in the European Parliament, the only Irish member, and I've really been pushing uh, the cause for um, uh, not only uh, Patrick Murphy and, and John Lynch in the southeast. Um, 
fishing producers organisations, but for the industry in general. Okay. And looking for better conditions. But the other thing, so the, the reason, and Patrick's dead right, there's, there's free money there and it's flowing. It's flowing into Ireland. So I have now, uh, on the back of that, I've contacted uh, Minister McConlogue asking him to release, release that money as soon as possible. It's critical. The other thing, Mick, I want to say is next week in the Fisheries Committee, we will vote on Irish proposals to restrict the access of EU vessels to the 6 to 12 nautical mile zone in Ireland. And the Greens are the only group really pushing this. Um, so, you know, we're, we're on the side of the fishers. And what, look, it's about fish, it's about nutrition, it's about food in our tables. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with Patrick. Um, the fishing industry needs much more support in okay. Ireland. I have, to, I have to leave it there. It's also the department. All right, but thank you, thank you for your input. Green Party MEP Grace O'Sullivan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thank, fr- you. thank you. Free Food Friday's Manic Friday here on the Neil Prendeville Show. Um, Free Food Friday, uh, 0868 We're going to feed 15 people today. A selection of starters from Roosters Piri Piri in Douglas and Blackpool. Chicken wraps, pitas and beef burgers, all meats based in their famous medium Piri Piri sauce. You're going to get Piri salted fries, rice and the newest side waffle fries. They're going to throw in portions of piri-piri mayo, garlic piri mayo and as a special treat you can build your own cheesecake with a selection of uh, Kinder Bueno sauce Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots more. Check it all out on roosterspiripiri.com We'll do the Free Food Friday mentions as soon as we can. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104106 Red FM. 11 and a half minutes to 11 o'clock. Kevin O'Donovan is the CEO of Cork GAA and joins us in line two. Hi Kevin. Mick, good morning, how are you? Very good. Now, you might, th- uh, you might contend I'm talking in fantasy figures, but Cork GAA apparently are in line for €75 million Euro in revenues from a housing scheme. The board has lodged fast-track plans with onboard Planola for the Strategic Housing Development Scheme uh, on your site at the old Whitechurch Road in Kilbarry on the northern fringes of Cork City. Is this blatant opportunism by the GAA getting rid of playing spaces in the city for big, big cash? Um, well, an element of fantasy for a start, Mick. So the, the 75 million euro number is really out of context, to be fair. That's a gross figure, which may be accrued by the eventual sale of housing. We're located in a slightly different context. We, we've applied for planning on lands, which we own, and we'll be disposing of the site once the planning would come true. So we're selling it as a site. So the 75 million euro revenue figure, that's, that's for a developer who may purchase it at a later date. Okay, but you're getting, or can you say what you hope to get for the site? No, we couldn't preempt the planning process and there's a competitive market out there, so we, we wouldn't preempt that number at this stage. Okay. Uh, how long do you own these, these lands? Are, are they being used for, for GAA purposes, sport and, uh, and training and stuff? No, not with many years. You know, there would have been a pitch there maybe 30 years ago. There was a Kishta Naban Ban Hurley factory on the site as well, which hasn't operated with 30 years. So they're very much an asset of the board that the board kept as a, maybe a, a strategic asset, not for the intention of using as playing pitches, but for using as a, you know, as a, as a development at a later date, strictly termed in, a financial asset, I suppose you could say. Okay. So, so there, there was never an intention to put a centre of excellence or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, but it is it is adjacent to Delgany Rovers GA Club. It's a 37-acre site. Now now it's currently open fields under grass and scrub and gorse. Uh, now, I, I think, ironically, there's an old hurling uh, manufacturer, Hurley Manufacturing Factory, a line derelict at the western side of it, is there? 
Yes, correct. Kishtana Bonbon was was a hardware yeah. factory owned by the county board back 30 years ago, but that's long derelict at this stage. And like we see it as an asset, it can generate funds for Cork GA and we see it as um, contributing to a massive housing shortage in, in Cork generally. So we're, we're delighted that it's gone for sale. Okay. We'll go for sale so you, you, you would say it's a win-win. Uh, th- those who are wondering, and I'm not being smart here, those who are wondering where all the money goes in the GA would say, what are you going to do with the money? Well, we, we're quite clear on this and that this is, will help to address the, the debt in Park Keith. So there, there's no sleight of hand here. We're, we're quite upfront about this. We have significant debts. They're quite clear as a, a legacy of the stadium redevelopment. And these funds are going towards that. Can you, can you say or give any indication as what's left to pay off there? Oh, I did that clearly in our accounts. It was just under the 30 million mark really? um, in September of last year. Hopefully a lower number in our accounts this year. Okay. Our end of year is, is September 1st. So that's coming around again soon. How is Parky Keep serving you and, and the ideals of the GA? I know, I know it's very popular for, uh, for pop concerts and that kind of thing. Ed Sheeran, uh, you know, the larger pop acts around the world. Elton John played there at this day last week. Uh, is it paying its way? Is it, is it washing its face? It's a challenge because um, COVID land is right at the early stages of it. But yeah, certainly washing its face this year. And look, we consider it the home of our games, of our teams. It'll be thronged with county finals and county playoffs, you know, in the next month or two. We have underage blitzes there next month. So I suppose we, the Elton John and the Ed Sheeran get the headlines. But there's a whole lot of daily activity washing through Cork G in terms of Parky Keith. And we see it as the home of our games, which happen in 260 of our clubs and hundreds of schools out there so we're and I suppose the other point is is since Cork J took over during the stadium back from Crow Park back in early 2020 it has become more and more the heart and soul of our organisation yeah, so, some would wish the same would happen with Cork Airport take back a little bit of control from Dublin yeah who knows who knows not my territory ok alright now um, was it short sighted I'm asked by a listener to ask you not to build it as a multi-purpose sporting stadium and it could now be making revenue every single day instead of just for matches and GAA uh, in, in the GAA realm and, and for big concerts. Is, yeah, it, so, is, a, is it a property you, you guys would never surrender to that? That's a fair point. It's not something we would consider at this stage given, given how much you know, the, the GAA community has raised and, and contributed to construction. We certainly have a very open mind in terms of other sports being played there, though. You saw with Lee Miller. Yes, um, we're yeah. very open to concerts, but we're also open to other sports there as well. That wasn't without its objectors, by the way, but it did get through. Yeah, well, gladly it did. I think that was a you know yeah. that was a change in direction for Cockji. I know there was a few obstacles to get there, but we reached the right decision in the end. And I suppose you need to be aware too that GA rule would constrain you in certain multi-purpose use of these facilities so that, that's maybe something we'll revisit in the future. Okay, the, the GA of course is ingrained in every uh, fabric of every parish and every community uh, in, in, in the country. How do you see its future? Getting stronger and stronger? Stronger and stronger but needing to move, need to move faster to keep up. I, I have young kids here at home, I, I, I see the, the increasing challenges for families and how busy people are and, you know, areas like child protection and finance and professionalism. So it's a big challenge for the GA to m- remain relevant in terms of having a really professional approach and then maintaining the amateur ideals. Now, there's a paradox there, but that's the paradox in which we have to live. So really excited. Look at the cool camps happening across Cork over the next two months. You know, may, you know, numbers far in excess of what is happening nationally are, are, are on the ground here in Cork. 
and then the vibrancies of our clubs. Uh, so I'd be hugely positive, but we need to move fast to stay ahead. Okay. Uh, on board, Panola confirmed on Thursday that submissions can be made on the application by the 8th of August, uh, and a decision is due to be made in October. Uh, so you'd hope to have it to have it sold quickly after, would you? Yeah, absolutely. It will it will go to the market after that. Absolutely, and oh. and we 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 have to acknowledge as well the support of City Council and this the support of Delaney's J Club, who've been very supportive of the project. We'll be hoping it'll deliver kids to their doorsteps that'll play the game. So there there's a nice and um, virtuous circle there as well. Hopefully, how hard is it to uh, get that underage onboarding and you know to 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 get people who devote their passion and sport to the GAA with the you know, the, the competing soccer and rugby and all the other stuff that's going on there. Yeah, I, I see us competing more with obesity and the couch and computer <laughs> games and, and bags of crisps than competing with soccer or rugby. I think there's enough kids in Cork for, to keep all sports active and I'd be a supporter of, and follower of all of those. Okay. It, I'll tell you, it's, it's a challenge because we've relied for so long on the real die-hard GA community passed from generation to generation and that will always be at our core, but I would like us to extend beyond that to the the, the multinational community, to that our games don't become expensive, that our membership doesn't become too too big, because or in terms of fees, I'd like us to be all things to all people. Now that that's okay. a massive challenge. So so I, the the G is alive and well and safe, but. I wouldn't like us to rest in our lives either. Okay, a couple of very quick te- texts in uh, to ask you. At a time when we're talking about the squeezing of recreational spaces, is it appropriate for a sporting organisation to sell land for housing? Well, it is in this narrow context. Because if you if you look, we, we've we've 250 affiliated hurling and football clubs in County Cork. 150 of those are, if you join up the hurling and football clubs, you have 150 with their own sites, all fundraising, all laying out new pitches on an annual basis. So this is a very not narrow context. And yes, I, my, my dream is that in my tenure, we'll be developing more pitches at a centre of excellence on the edge of the city over the next 10 years, hopefully. Okay. So we're interested in growing grass, okay. not the opposite. <laughs> Uh, a final one, even though there was €45 million Euro taxpayers' money spent on the stadium, uh, why wouldn't you consider it in the purpose of paying off its debts, opening it more more liberally to other sports on a daily basis and sweat the acid, as they say? Yeah, I, I certainly contest the €45 million Euro number, but we'd acknowledge there was a massive contribution to the state towards the stadium would not have been redeveloped over. Trust me, we've a very open mind here on, on opening up Parky Keefe as much as possible. We walk there on a daily basis. We look out the window. We want activity inside there. We've a very open mind to other sports. Okay. However, however, we are governed by general rule and there are certain restrictions and there must be games of significant importance. But no, I, I, I want to sweat the asset, but I want to sweat the kids as well. Get oh. many people as possible. Okay. Uh, as CEO of Cork GEA, you have 20 seconds. Uh, I have to... It would be remiss of me not to ask you to give 20 seconds uh, of welcome and uh, aspiration, I suppose, to new hurling boss Pat Ryan. Uh, so you've got 20 seconds to welcome him. Oh, well, look, Pat Ryan doesn't need any any words from me. Pat Ryan's reputation is well earned at club and county level. I'd have to acknowledge as well Kieran Kingston and his team and Dermot O'Sullivan and Noel Farlang and Pat Mulcahy. This is a massive operation down here in terms of our teams. Volunteers give you incredible effort. Well done to Kieran and his team going out the door. All right. Welcome to Pat coming in the door. Time is up. Kevin O'Donovan, CEO of Cork GA. Thank you very much. News at 11 is next. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 
104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And good morning to George. Hi, George. Hello, Vic. How are you? Very good. Now, you said the, night, the, new, the scientists last week said we'll not reach our climate target. Uh, the new scientists, we see, the thing is, what, what they're saying is, uh, I'm sorry, I, was, um, I rang earlier on when uh, people were talking about it, and then we've had other people on too. Um, but uh, well, my, my research has showed that um, we were supposed to, we're supposed to reach uh, 48%. We're supposed to reduce by 48%. But um, during the lockdown, we only went down by about 2.8%. Yeah, about 2.5%, I think. When, was it? Well, so the whole of the uh, the whole of the world was locked down, and now and now it's we're back. It's going up again. So the chances of us getting down to forty by forty eight percent is very minimal. Now, what they, what the scientists are saying is that um, this this is a political statement, and that the uh, the one point five degrees. Even if we don't get it down to one point five degrees in um, uh, twenty fifty, then that's still going to be the target figure. Uh, I, I think we're going to be fighting uh, climate change for the next 100 years. And, and, and you know, I've, I don't often agree with, with Green Party policies, which, which seem to me to be, you know, let's save the world by freezing one Irish pensioner at a time. Uh, some of that stuff makes no sense to me when, when, you know, when they're granting planning permission for energy gobbling data centres and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I think we will struggle with climate change uh, for some time to come. Oh, I do believe so that, that as well, yeah. Um, it, I think um, it's... It could even be, it could even see a lot of us out. I mean, I look at the Middle East at the moment. Um, they're they're up to fifty degrees, you know, and people are dying. It's not really it's not being put out there, but a lot of people are actually dying over there because of the heat. So we get we're going to. Uh, I think that we're going to go through the worst of it at some point in time. Uh, what, what's the answer, though? Do do we need to take more individual and 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 collective responsibility in reducing our travel, re- reducing our energy emissions, reducing our use of fossil fuel? Or are people just going to be trying, trying, trying to get through the winter? We're trying to do that all the time, aren't we? We're, we're, we're trying to do that all the time. I mean, like they, they talk about they're, they're turning cars into batteries, but then again, the batteries are being charged by fossil fuels. Um, I should imagine there is a, is a reduction there overall, but to what degree, I don't know. Probably not enough. Um, uh, this could, uh, you know, this could change the, the, the face of the planet completely and utterly. You know, the amount of people that live on it, where they can live. And um, and how we uh, structure our lives, you know, the electricity, the gas, uh, with uh, what's going on in Ukraine and Putin and um, nuclear power. They're saying at the moment that like wind power and everything in America makes up about um, 68% or 75% of the uh, of the total uh, cumulative um, uh, electricity for the country, but still they're. Uh, their uh, fossil fuels and their um, carbon print footprint is massive and, uh, and doesn't look like going to be changing anywhere yeah. soon. George, I I we're, we're going to have to get we're going to have to get you to play an acoustic guitar, not an electric guitar. Um, well, I think probably so. Yes. <laughs> That'll help. You're going to have to teach me to play the guitar first. <laughs> uh, you're busy in the music scene. I know you, it, it's uh, George from the Roaring Forties. I recognise the accent. Oh, right. okay. yeah. uh, I, I, I recently yeah. recently saw you in a Cork restaurant celebrating graduating from UCC. Tell us what you've achieved. I um, I took uh, I, 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 your daughter as well. Yeah, she she graduated. Yeah, same day, day, same day yeah. we were we were celebrating in the same restaurant. I'm just wondering what 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 you achieved and uh, and how it'll impact on your future. I finished. Um, um, I got a, a second um, honors master's in history. 
Oh, fantastic. Mm, yeah, it was... Uh, I just needed that one thing at the top. When I wanted a master, I'm not going to do a PhD because I just would not be able to achieve that. Um, but the master's, I think, I could just stretch to and uh, see if I get it. And I did... Um, I'm terrible. I've been trying to learn how to speak Irish for the last 22 years, but uh, it just hasn't happened. Go to Ballyferreter, Don Quinn, in, in, in the West Kerry Gaeltacht, and uh, or go down to Coulee, uh, or go down to Ballymakira, and all, all those places that speak it so fluently and beautifully and with such poetry. I know, I know, I know, they do, and it's beautiful. I ne- it's never quite come to me every time I've tried. But, um, so I thought I'd learn the history instead. Yeah, well, what, what, why don't you talk to a uh, fellow musician, John Spillane, great Gwale Goran, he'd help you out as well. John, yeah. <laughs> George, well, John, gotta go. Last time I spoke to John, he promised to write a song about um, the Middle Parish, where I come from. Okay, well, he's uh, written so songs about, still, about other areas of Cork, like Prince Street and Passage West. And, me, he promised me. Yeah. I'm going to have to talk to him about that again. Uh, my my favourite response from, uh, and I won't mention the interviewer, my favourite response uh, from John Spillane to a radio interviewer uh, who loved the song, The Dance of the Cherry Trees, and who thought it was yeah. all about hallucinating, uh, you know, and being on a trip somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and he asked John, you know, just so amazed by the alliteration and the, you know, the poetry of the song and the way it paints pictures. What were you on when you wrote that song? <laughs> Do you, know what, you know what John's answer was? No, go on. I was on the bus to Passage West. <laughs> George, thanks a million. Hello. Thank Cheers. you very much. Thanks. Bye yeah, bye. I, just wanna... have, um, I hope I've done something to help climate change. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, now then, lots of housekeeping to do. I can't believe it's the last hour of the uh, 13 days here. Uh, I just want to recognise Suits Distributors in Ballycarine and Frankfield in support of our fundraiser for the Community Air Ambulance. Uh, Dave in Suits Distributors has donated uh, two tickets to the first match of the new Premier League season in Old Trafford, which is going to be Man United versus Brighton on the 7th of August. And he's also going to dress uh, two people in chinos and a shirt uh, from the award-winning Jack Doyle casual range. Uh, and uh, I think this is to do with the Mongol rally, Poles of Inconvenience, uh, whom I spoke to one of the first days on the programme and who I'm sure uh, that Neil will speak to again in the coming weeks. Uh, also, uh, the big uh, the big roundy birthday, the big six roundy birthday, um, is um, uh, happening tomorrow night in Coolcarra House uh, for my friend Julie. And uh, I hope that she has a great time. I'm going to do my best to attend. Uh, unfortunately, family pressures may uh, prevent me from uh, doing so. But just in case, Julianne Crowley, uh, enjoy the big six zero. And I know you'll probably kill me for mentioning the age. And there you go. Here's an email to the show. Hi Mick, I know many people who claim carer's allowance for their children with very mild disabilities. They get domiciliary care allowance, extra child benefit, their car tax paid for and many other benefits. In June and July, they get about €1,500 to spend on the children for the summer and most of the parents spend it on themselves. They pay for all-inclusive holidays, the best of gear and get lots of help from welfare. Meanwhile, I cannot pay to bring my kids out for the day. I must pay for everything, and if I work overtime, the tax is so high, it doesn't make a bit of difference. There is a huge portion of the squeezed working and middle class who are struggling, and meanwhile, these parents have as much as they need handed to them. I scrimped and saved to take one of my children away for two nights, while others are having all-inclusive holidays essentially handed to them off the back of the taxpayer. Just the other day, three bags of shopping cost me €94, and it won't last a couple of days. Now, if you want to uh, get involved in our Free Food Friday competition, I've been neglecting it because we've been so busy over the last couple of hours, uh, but happy to give it some time now. Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool. Uh, if you want to text in, you know the drill. Uh, tell us where you are. 
how many people are working there and uh, we'll feed 15 people uh, 0868 104 uh, you're going to get a selection of sumptuous starters consisting of chicken wings chicken skewers and beef skewers a selection of mains uh, which will include chicken wraps, beef burgers, chicken pittas. All the meats are based on their famous medium piri-piri sauce, and they'll also throw in piri-salted fries. Rice and the newest side, which is waffle fries. And they'll also throw in portions of piri-mayo and garlic piri-mayo. You'll have seen probably on Facebook uh, the previous week's winners uh, all beaming on a huge table full of food uh, from the Roosters Piri Piri people in Douglas and Blackpool. And one more special treat, you can build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce and Kinder Pieces and Nutella and lots more. Dermody Dental Practice are on the Evergreen Road in Turner's Cross. All the uh, staff are absolutely amazing. A busy day in super weather for fiberglass roofing for Martin and all the GRP roofing team on the Tremor Road, always available for roofing advice. Roosters Piri Piri for Sandra and for Donna and Arlene and all the customers at House of Hair and Kinsale. Happy Friday. Uh, Kilsar and Quarry in ovens. We'd love this. We're working hard and organising loads of stones to sites. I'd love to win Roosters Piri Piri from Eric and the lads at Pro Valet in Mahan Point. Love the show and always listening. Free food for Cada in Pine Street. All the staff there working very hard. Pat McDonald Paints on Bachelor's Key. Love the show. Lunch for all at Joe Crowley Oils in Inna Shannon. Uh, we'd love to win food for my hard-working hobby, Kieran and his team in Sigma Homes. They're handing over a new house today in Grange. I'm sure we'll see Patrick handing it over on social media. Great team there. I'd love to enter the staff in Coalfield Transport in Little Island. An incredible team who work very hard, uh, says uh, Colette. I know you texted in last week as well, Colette. Hi from Blue Coast Skip Hire. We'd love the free food Friday. The canteen in Whitegate Oil Refinery. Shauna and the girls in Boots Half Moon Street. Uh, John and SR Technics in Mahon. Brita O'Keefe and uh, the work colleagues at Sodexo Irvine Oil in Whitegate. You guys must be busy and they'd love to be served food for a change. Amanda and her team are working hard in ESB Networks Ireland and would love some roosters. Balancholic Credit Union, Free Food Friday, please. please. Uh, we could do it at Morning Make. I missed last week, but it's okay. Uh, I'd love some free food Friday for me and the gang at Lehan Motors on the airport road. Hi from the secretaries in Conor O'Shea's Cardiology in the Lee Clinic on the Lee Road. And all the girls at TLC Unlimited Crash in Blarney would love some lunch today to start off our weekend. And uh, if you want to get in touch with that competition and you want to win it, 0818-104-106. Tell us where you're working, how many people, uh, and give us a little text about what you're doing as well. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now, 086-8104-106. Red FM. 20 past 11, former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has died after being shot at a campaign event. And joining us on our WhatsApp line uh, is JJ O'Donoghue from news source, uh, online news source, Tripe and Drasheen. Uh, good morning, JJ. Hello? Morning, McCoy. I'm good. Uh, yeah, are, are, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Uh, you're a Cork journalist. You lived in Kyoto. Um, t- tell me a little bit before Indeed, we go yeah. before we go into th- uh, the semantics of what happened here uh, about what it's like to live in Japanese society. It's a very ordered, uh, respectable, and uh, cultured society in ways they're all, they're all living in a very small space, uh, and so getting on with each other and being orderly and respectful is is probably de rigueur there. Um, this must be something of a massive shock in that culture, is it? Yeah, I mean it is. It's a uh Deeply shocking. Um, my wife and kids are over there at the moment uh, in, in uh, Okayama, which is not that far from Nara, where um, Shinzo Abe was killed this morning. And yeah, was, when I woke up this morning, there was lots of messages. And um, that's the, the, the main emotion is just 
shock um, that something like this would happen because gun crime is almost non-existent there, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, they have a huge kind of strict gun law regime there, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, there are sporadic killings that are shocking, um, but like I can't even remember. I lived there for more than 10 years. Um, I, I can't remember, you know, gun crimes, to be honest. When it happens, it could be, you know, it's um, someone like takes a knife on a train or some horrific killing that way, but gun crime just doesn't exist because the, the gun laws are so strict and it appears that um, the suspect, um, it's an improvised gun, one that he made and possibly yeah, yeah. his training because he was a, his ex-Marine, maybe that kind of helped him build the gun. You know. Okay, because just, just reading the preliminary reports, there was two gunshots, uh, sparks were seen and puffs of smoke. That would not give you the impression it's a very, very modern weapon. Uh, as, as you say, it's, it, it looks like something he made himself. Yeah, yeah, and I'm actually familiar with the train station that it all took place at. So Shinzo Abe, who was the former prime minister, he's one of the longest serving prime ministers in Japan, um, he re- resigned in 2020 and he was out um, canvassing for a local politician in Nara, which is near Osaka and Kyoto. It's quite far from Tokyo. Well, not that far, but um, he was just on the street corner um, outside this main train station hub called Yamato Saidaiji and there would be security detail with Shinzo Abe, but not to the same extent as when he was um, a serving um, prime minister. And it looks like he just, the suspect just came up um, from behind and attacked him. Um, and so like all these, like it will portend big, big changes, security changes, I imagine, for, um, you know, Japanese politicians and how they move about in society. Because, I mean, you would have seen this all the time, like politicians regularly before elections, you know, they'll just turn up on street corners or they'll drive around. But I imagine a lot of that will now will have to change because there will be these security fears, you know. Yeah, the first shot sounded like a bazooka, uh, a, a woman said. He didn't fall and there was a large bang. The second shot was more visible. It looked like he was bleeding profusely from the neck, uh, but was initially responsive and then passed out. Uh, people surrounded him and gave him cardiac massage. Uh, if people can't picture uh, Shinzo Abe, he, he t- typically Japanese, of course, in, in, his, uh, in, in his appearance, but he always seemed like a happy chap. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think he was quite polarizing as well. Um, he had big plans for Japan, especially on the international stage, and also about revising its um, pacifist constitution. So to that extent, he was polarizing. We don't know um, any of the motives behind the killing yet, um, but it, maybe it's telling that the suspect is, um, he was part of Japan's self-defense forces. They don't have an army under the constitution, mm. and he was in the Marine um, part of it. Yeah, so, they've, like, they've, again, it's they've what's known as a pacifist constitution. Yeah, they do. So, like, the constitution was devised uh, under the Americans during the occupation, and they can't, they don't have a standing army, so they have a defense forces. And one of Abe's kind of big goals was to get to revise the constitution so that Japan could build up its military again. Um, I mean, they're looking towards China, they're looking towards North Korea, and they see both these countries as threats. Um, so, for many, like it's very, very important to Japan. It's pacifist constitution, and Japan and Abe was kind of to the fore in kind of pulling that, drawing that back, and revising the new constitution. Now he didn't get there, but he, like he was very much to the forefront. So if this is like it could be, we don't know. Again, this is just speculation. This could be part of the motivation, but again, we don't know what because um, we don't know what the motivation for the killing was yet. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to kind of, that's why he was kind of a, a politically controversial figure in a way, because 
he was a hawkish conservative, but he wanted to kind of reinstate uh, some sort of Japanese military. Uh, he stayed a prominent political figure uh, even after his resignation. But uh, Japanese politicians, up to now anyway, uh, have been used to the up-close-and-personal style of campaigning, haven't they? They have, yeah. I mean, to that extent, it's not too similar in Ireland, you know, where you get that bit of door-stepping. Now, they don't go to doors. Typically, what happens is they'll drive around in vans and it'll be, um, like, they'll pull up in highest vans near your neighbourhood or then they'll pop out, like, on, you know, outside a shopping centre and, like, or outside a train station, as Abe was doing for him. Um, like, he was canvassing for a local politician in Nara. You know, but there is that aspect, like, you can get close to them and it's very normal. Um, you You don't have these massive security details that you would, like see, you know, with American politicians. But I mean, all, as I kind of said before there, that will all have to change, I imagine, because there will be this idea, like, are, you know, could this happen again? Okay. Uh, and what do you think will happen from here? There's obviously going to be a period of mourning. Will, will, will the election go ahead? It's two days away. So, no, they have, um, they've suspended, it's upper house elections, so they've suspended all uh, canvassing, and I don't know if the election will go ahead, I have to check that, but um, probably it will be postponed. I mean, I, it'll be a deep reckoning for Japan, because like, there'll be that initial stage of, that shock is still very much evident there, you know, to have something like this. I mean, it's equivalent to have, um, you know, Michal Martin shot in broad daylight, um, and again, we have a very low gun crime in Ireland as well but it's even lower there so like it's just the next few days few weeks will be coming to grips with the shock that this actually happened and then you know um, reassessing what they will do now because of um, because of what happened but I mean it's probably worth kind of re- like reaffirming how like guns are very very hard to come by in Japan and gun crime is very very rare and very low well and, if, like, if, if, if we take if, if, if we take a look at Japan so, versus versus the USA uh, just just for a moment, and uh, we, Japan has 125 million people. The USA has about 250 yeah. million people, so we're not comparing like with like. Uh, but Japan has some of the world's toughest no, gun no. control laws. Annual deaths from fire uh, from firearms in a country half the population of America is regularly in the single figures. Yeah, and that, that's not to say that they don't have like. There's been some shocking crimes in other countries in the last few years where in Kyoto, which is nearby Nara, um, a man went into an animation studio and um, set it alight and killed more than 30 people working there. So, and knife crime is also um, a factor there, but gun crime is just, it's almost unheard of, you know, which makes this this assassination, this political assassination, even more, like, alarming and shocking. Okay, thank you for uh, coming on, JJ Donahue. A little delay there on the WhatsApp. Uh, You've no concerns for your family over in Japan at the moment, even though they're they're nearby narrow, are they? Uh, no, they're not that far. No, to be honest, the only thing, Japan, the only reason it was in the news the last while is they have a massive heat wave, but um, no, 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 they're fine. Thanks for okay. asking. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a profoundly sad and shocking day that somebody so liked, oh, even though, uh, you know, of a polarised nature there, he was, and isn't it sadly ironic that a guy who pushed for the revision uh, of the uh, pacifist constitution yeah. to recognise the country's military uh, was shot dead by uh, a member essentially of the Japanese Navy? Yeah, I mean, he was retired for quite a while now, but yeah, the, um, it is, there's a there's a kind of a sad coincidence to that, you know, a tragic element to it. Yeah. Thanks a million, JJ. What's Tripe and Trine and how can people avail of its services? Uh, you've probably, my colleague Ellie has been on. Oh, she years. has. We do local <laughs> journalism, so this is, yeah, so, um, this is our first time to do a bit of international journalism, but we concentrate on uh, Cork stories, in-depth um, reporting, news and features. So yeah, 
um, just have a look for Tripe and Dasheen online and um, hopefully we'll be back on again with you Mick OK thanks a million JJ O'Donoghue from Tripe and Dasheen a Cork journalist that lived in Kyoto talking about the shock in Japan over the killing and the culture there and how unusual it is to have an incident uh, like this. It's Rooster's Piri Piri Free Food Friday on the Neil Prendeville Show. You can text or you can WhatsApp saying who you are, where you work and why you want us to pick you on 86 106 We're going to feed 15 people. Winners will get a selection of starters consisting of chicken wings, chicken skewers and beef skewers, a selection of mains including chicken wraps, chicken pitas and beef burgers and of course all the meats will be based in their famous, uh, famous medium piri. We're not going to make it too hot for you. Medium piri piri sauce. They'll also throw in piri salted fries, rice and the newest side which is waffle fries. And they will also uh, complete the whole ensemble by throwing in uh, portions of piri mayo and garlic uh, piri mayo as well. And as a special treat, you can build your own cheesecake and a selection of toppings will be available like Kinder Buena sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and more. Now then, by text, we've uh, raised the angst and the ire of uh, certainly one parent uh, when I read that email about the uh, the carer's allowance and people milking the system, as it were. Uh, complete lies uh, is what this texture said. Just scroll down there so I can get the full thing. Complete lies regarding parents on carer's allowance. Please correct these lies. We do not get extra child benefit and we do not get our car tax paid. I cannot afford to take my child on a day trip. Not to mind an all-inclusive holiday. I use the carer's support grant to help pay my mortgage. Also, a parent cannot get carer's allowance for their child unless they first receive domiciliary care allowance, DCA. And this is the most difficult payment to qualify for. You must prove that your child has considerable care needs, substantially over and above those of a child of similar age with no disability. A child with only a mild disability will not get DCA. So the parent, consequently, will not get carers. Please correct the lies that Mick read out on air from an ignorant listener. I can't talk on air. I'm busy caring for my child. I read the mail as it came in, but happy to correct that on your behalf uh, and to uh, bring some clarity to that situation. And thank you for the clarity that you must get the DCA, the domicili- uh, Domiciliary Care Allowance, and that this is the most difficult one to, uh, to qualify for. And that means you've got to prove your child has considerable care needs over and above those of a child of a similar age with no disability. If you don't get the DCA, you don't get the carers. So thank you very much for allowing me to clarify that. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818 104 25 to 12, Kieran is a taxi driver. Good morning, Kieran. Morning, Mick. Now, you found a wallet today. I did yesterday, Mick. Oh, yesterday, beg your pardon. Uh, on, yes. uh, on the Grand Parade. On the Grand Parade, yeah. Exactly where, Kieran? Just uh, aside the shop in the Grand Parade, across from Hillbilly. Okay. Are you a, a independent taxi driver? Or do you work for a company? No, I'm independent. Okay. And what did you do with this wallet? It contained apparently a huge pile of cash and lots of cards. It did, and lots of cards. Oh no, I was on the side. This, what I do with it? Whether I should take it to the shop or take it to Angus Street, and I went for Angus Street. Okay. And I dropped it in there, and I came back about an hour after to the shop, inquiring was there anybody in, and they said there was. Oh, there was somebody in, okay, but they didn't, they didn't know to send them to Anglesey Street. Uh, no. So we're very, we're very happy to give you the platform to put the word out there in, in respect of your honesty uh, that uh, you found the wallet outside daybreak on Grand Parade. You've handed it into Anglesey Garda Station, fully intact, all the cash, all the cards, and of course you'd love if it found its way back to its owners. I would, I would, and it was, a, it was an English driving license, and the people in the shop thought that the woman had a northern accent. 
Okay, so they they remembered the person. There's an English driving license in the wallet, uh, and, and and maybe some Northern Ireland tourists that might be here uh, on the grapevine. Yeah. Surely we'll find somebody who will connect uh, the dots here and get those people into uh, into Anglesey Street, and we can report on Monday hopefully that everything is uh, is returned to its rightful owner. But once again, Kieran, uh, what's your second name? Kieran O'Sullivan. Kieran O'Sullivan. We 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 bow our heads to you in respect of your honesty. There are many who wouldn't do what you did. Good man, Mick. Thank Thanks you then. very much. Hopefully to get back. Thank Thanks. You. Cheers. Bye bye. Now it's Thank Volvo Cork Week Family Day on Sunday, July tenth. Of course, uh, the RCYC hosting one of the biggest festivals in yachting in the year. Uh, Anna Marie Fagan is the co-chair of Volvo Cork Week and the first female vice admiral of the Royal Cork Yacht Club, and she cooks a mean burger as well. Anna Marie Fagan. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Oh, we've come a long way since, since uh, many, many years ago. I think I caught you in a wind-up as well. Um, <laughs> oh, you sure did. You sure did. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the biggest events in the sailing calendar, not just in, uh, in Cork, but in Europe, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> we have a, an amazing reputation. We have an amazing harbour. We have visitors coming from all over the world next week to sail in the most incredible waters. Uh, we have five race courses out there. On Monday morning, we have the Beaufort Cup starting off your lovely cove there between cove. We have a, the airport doing a flyover. We have a Navy ship there. So it's going to be an incredible spectacle from all over the harbour. Make and sure and get out, get to Camden, get to the promenade in cove, the new park in Ring of Skiddy. It's just going to be incredible. We have classics. We have nearly 50 1720s, Mick. Can you imagine that on the start line? Okay, the 1720, of course, in respect of the foundation date of the Royal Cork Yacht Club. Uh, it wasn't called that then. Uh, but essentially, the oldest yacht club in the world in the second biggest natural harbour in the world. Absolutely. And it's going to be some spectacle. Um, so people should try and get out and see it. We have a family fun day on Sunday, which will co- go stretch from the yacht club right up to Camden Fort. We have Piper's Marys. We have boats leaving from the harbour or from the pier in Crosshaven. So there's something for everyone. And sustainability is our big theme this year. We're doing all deposit and return glass, no plastic on site. So we're trying to do our bit for taking plastic out of the sea as well. Wow, okay, that's, that, that's brilliant. What time on Sunday would be best for people around the harbour to have a look at all this spectacle? Well, Monday, Monday. So Sunday is a family fun day, and Monday then is when the racing starts. So racing is Monday to Friday. There'll be some racing in the harbour every day. So it's um, any day um, from about 11. There's, start time is about 10, so from 11 to 3, um, any of those places will be great to see, um, see racing. Okay, and t- tell me a little if you can about uh, Volvo Car Ireland brand ambassador Finn Vandenar. Oh yeah, she's she's going to come and talk to the kids. She's an amazing person. She's she's with a fabulous colouring competition, and she's going to come and um, talk to us all about about how you see we all have to take responsibility for this, Mick. You know, especially as older folk. And um, this is this is this is it. We have to start minding our planet, and she's going to come and help us do that. Okay. And of course, we're so grateful for all our sponsors: Volvo, Port of Cork. County Council, Musto, Heineken, Brian Fitzwilliam. Without them, this event would not happen. We are so grateful for them. I just got a text on my watch from uh, Liam Bonner. Uh, hi, my dear friend. Any tickets for Cork Week floating about? You're, <laughs> you're out and now, see, Liam. Go, go, go and see the spectacle in the harbour. Have a walk. Be sustainable. Enjoy it. It's going to be amazing. Let, let's talk about the uh, the uh, 
the business end of everything, of course, it's, it's a complete set of races Monday to Friday, some in harbour, some out of harbour. Uh, that's yeah. a huge undertaking when it comes to race organisation and race officer, race control and everything. Uh, on, on the social element of things, uh, forgive me for saying there's an impression that, uh, you know, there's a bit of elitism going on here and it may not be very welcoming or open to the public. Can you counter that? Uh, not so, not so. We'd love to see people there on Sunday. Uh, you know, it, it's open, family fun day, all day, afternoon, come and see us, we'd be delighted. We're never, you know, you know sailing is a reason, Mick, you're a sailor, the same as I am. We yeah, no, I'm, I'm not particularly talking about Sunday, which seems to be very open and inclusive, but is yeah. there an entertainment programme that the public no, can go no, to? No, no, it's just for sailors. It's not, it's not the big rock concert you, it used to be. Okay. Uh, so, so it's just, it's not there. Like those, those are the days before independence and that. We're not in that league anymore. And if, if, uh, if visitors on the water want to attend any of the days, is there going to be a place to tie up or uh, just want to drop uh, oh in yeah, for a, absolutely. Yeah. Any time early in the day, but there is no late entertainment. You know, okay. it's just, it, it's for sale. It's all about sailing this time. Okay, where it was a big sort of a, it was almost yeah. like a, a music festival at night there yeah, before. Yeah, that was way back when, you know. Yeah. It's just different. Times have changed, we've all moved on. Okay, uh, so fun, uh, Sunday is the big, big fun day, 11 yeah. to 3, and uh, if, if, yeah. you want, if you want a vantage point around the harbour, because we have people listening all over Cork, uh, may, maybe a hat is a little too far away, but you can certainly get up to uh, Fort Camden, uh, yeah. Fort Mar, if you can get on Spike Island. Of course, there's the fully accessible by road uh, new uh, walking area. Uh, to Yeah, yeah. Well, the Promenade and Cove could be a good one, and anywhere you can view out the harbour would be fantastic. Those classics would be fabulous, the 1720s, the capes, it's going to be an incredible spectacle in the harbour. Okay. Anne-Marie Fagan, co-chair of Volvo Cork Week and the first female vice-admiral of the Royal Cork Yacht Club. Thank you very much for coming on and uh, telling you, us about it. Pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Thank Emil. You. All the best. Bye-bye. And uh, now we're going to sign off musically in a few minutes with an Irish rock musician. Um, his uh, artistic prowess, his artistic chops, if you like, have never been up for the debate. Uh, he's uh, opened the MTV EMA Awards with his band, The Voodoos. He hit number one on the Scottish New Music Charts and maybe is a little under-recognised in Cork. Let's see if we can give him a little help to redress that balance after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Some final Free Food Friday mentions before we go to our musical interlude. Leisure World in Churchfield. Uh, cus, uh, customer, Donnybrook Hill. All the hungry staff in Feelands and Baker's Road always listening. Uh, we're listening as ever and slaving away at Munster DG. And would love some delicious roosters, Piri Piri. Free food for the amazing staff at Skull Oliver, who are running a summer camp this week. And I'd love to thank them for keeping my son happy. HSSD staff in Bon Secours Hospital. Working very hard. We'd love Free Food Friday as well. Uh, hi Mick. We'd love free food for, uh, from Roosters from Podrick Cripps and the gang in MSD and Brinney and Paul Merview Laboratories in Watergrass Hill would love some Roosters as well we make hand sanitizer for the HSC and we love the show good morning Cork musician Mark Daly good morning how's it going I'm very good you are seriously accomplished sir and uh, I'm wondering why you're not so in your native Cork <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how, how long are you playing music now um, about 11 or 12 years now. Okay, and um, the international stage has been beckoning and, and you've answered the call. Uh, you've been on rock cruises. You've, uh, give me a, a kind of synopsis of your achievements so far. Uh, I've done quite a few tours in the US. A lot, a lot, of, um, a lot of the work has been over there, um, which has been amazing. I've uh, done a lot in Germany and a couple of UK tours and bits and pieces like that. Okay. And uh, hoping to do a bit more back here in Ireland as well. Yeah, okay. I heard a very famous producer, uh, you went in one day to, and then you did your stuff and then 
he came, you came back the following day and he said, I, I, won't, I won't mention what he said. Yeah, you dirty, rotten so-and-so, he said. You, you've done more than many people who come in here and you made, you're around making me a cup of tea and you're acting completely normal. Um, <laughs> let me give people a flavour of, of what this young man has achieved. Uh, so far. You write for the supergroup Operation Mindcrime, which includes members of Whitesnake, ACDC, Black Sabbath, Queensryche and The Disturbed. <laughs> you came first in a band contest to win at the MTV EMA Awards. Now that's not just any mean feat. You beat over 470 bands from 10 countries. You've done four tours of America, playing at all the top venues. You've headlined at the Hard Rock in Seattle and the world-famous Viper Room in uh, Hollywood, isn't that Johnny Depp's place? Um, you've got a huge fan base in America, especially Seattle, um, where you're based when you're there, when you're in the US. Uh, you've performed and interviewed live on one of the biggest breakfast shows ever. Which one was that? Oh, they, that was a Seattle breakfast show, actually, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, tell me about the ship-rocked cruise, because um, you're, you're on this cruise, and, you know, there, there's, there's a nobody called Alice Cooper there with you. Oh, that was the Monsters of Rock that we did um, recently. We'd, uh, lucky enough, done uh, the two rock cruises in the US, Ship Rocked and uh, Monsters of Rock, and I would gladly do those full time. <laughs> what's, what's life like in the music industry? You're, you're grounded, you're a family man here in Cork, and, uh, you know, traveling the world, still trying to, you know, eke out that huge professional success that I think you deserve. W what's it like when you're grounded back here with the family? I love being back home as well. It's nice to have a mixture of two, you know, and um, it's a tough old business to be in anyway. But um, I love going out and tour and I love coming back from tour. It's a great, uh, great mixture. Okay, of course, you're rocking it out now with a band called The Ravens, but you were in a band called The Voodoos. Yes. Which, which opened the MT, uh, MTV EMA Awards. That must have been uh, an adrenal rush, was it? Oh, big time. We, we went out and performed uh, one of our own songs, and it was just, it was over in a flash, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. Okay, and, and I want to talk briefly, if you, if you don't mind, about your little guy, because you have... Uh, you've a child who's on the autism spectrum and you've done lots of work in that area. Yeah. Uh, in including, of course, professionally, uh, hitting number one on the Scottish New Music Charts with an autism awareness charity solo single, Your World. Tell me about that. Um, it was a song I just uh, wrote at home um, one day in the kitchen. Um, Claire was out at work and when she came home, I was like, I just wrote the song and it just poured out of me. It was just one of those, I wrote it straight away on the spot. And I played it to her and she bawled her eyes out and she was like, you have to release this. And I was like, no, no, it's too personal. Um, and she was like, please, you have to release this and we can do it for, um, we can donate the proceeds yeah. to charity. And it was great. Okay. I was watching Elton John last night actually saying uh, at a Las Vegas concert that when uh, Bernie Taupin, his songwriting partner, was 17, he handed him the lyrics of your song. Oh, yeah. and, and 15 minutes later he had it written and he was in tears as well because it just, the music poured out of him because of the lyrics. You're going to play us a live song. What are you going to do? I'm going to play Your World. I think it's okay. the most radio-friendly and most, um, it's my favourite one to play. And I've, so. I've got a, I've got a, here on what they call the hotkeys, I've got Gotta Run. Now that may be a little heavy for the Neil Prendival Show regular listeners, <laughs> but we, we may give it 30 seconds or so. Uh, but for now, Mark Daly in studio, uh, and he's going to do Your World. Thank you, Mick. It's 
takes me to another world Your love It gives me all of my strength And I know that you're perfect And you always will be I'm the proudest man alive And I know that the struggles Will keep coming our way But we'll face them and survive Proudest man alive I would give Anything to get inside your head To realize Exactly what it is you meant And I won't rest Until I know your every move And I see that smile That takes me to your world Perfect and you always will be I'm the proudest man alive And I know that the struggles will keep coming our way But we'll face them and survive I'm the proudest man alive I will say You light up my life every day And you put my heart into the right place For that I'm so thankful I'm so thankful I'm so And I know that you're perfect And you always will be I'm the proudest man alive And I know that the struggles will keep coming our way But we'll face them and survive I'm the proudest man alive Wow, that's brilliant, and that's from the heart, and that's for your, your little boy's name. Uh, Noah. Is he listening? Noah, is he, is he listening? Noah is listening, and Noah's actually obsessed with Red FM. Oh, oh really? Why don't you bring he, him in? If you, He's out in the car, he might pop in after, if that's yeah, all give right. Him, yeah, we'll give him a tour of the studio as soon would, as this is over. He would love it. Uh, they give me all the list of things to do here, and, they, and then they said, then you can go back to your boat. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your job is done. Actually, I might have a bit of a challenge for you um, uh, before we go, uh, in the songwriting vein, that is. H- how easy is it for you to, uh, to write a song? Sometimes really easy and sometimes really hard. <laughs> really? <laughs> it, do, it doesn't just flow? Um, usually the, um, when I'm at home, it comes out in bursts, really. Yeah. I write loads of songs at one time and then not uh, for a bit. 
as as Phil Linnett or Phil Linnett one one said, it it might come. Uh, the creative juices might flow while you're sitting on the toilet. <laughs> Could come at any time. Uh, I, I just want to leave people know that you, you're a really serious rocker uh, as well. And this has got to run. I won't be able to play it all. I don't have time, uh, and I'd probably be killed if I do. But this is kind of heavy <laughs> stuff now. Mark Daly, got to run. No heavier to me than maybe a smells like Teen Spirit from Nirvana or something. Uh, it's kind of uh, it's got a melody to it, which is, which the other song doesn't have. It's a bit of Foo Fighters-y kind of rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ever met those guys, Dave Grohl and Co? No, not yet, and I, I look know. forward to that. He's one of your heroes, would he? <laughs> oh, big time. Big okay. Time. I've got to take care of business here for a second. We'll come back to you in a moment. Uh, cost, uh, custom wear in Donnybrook Hill. Uh, the Bond Secures Hospital working very hard. Uh, uh, Oh, we have read that one already. And we have a winner here, just coming up on me screen, as Joe would say. Uh, Pat McDonald paints are in Bachelor's Key, and they are our Free Food Friday winners. And uh, I don't have time to call out everything you're getting, but it's a huge lunch that is coming your way. Uh, Mark Daly text, as a mother of an autistic little boy, uh, that's the most beautiful song and oh, lyrics I've ever heard. Go, Mark so Daly. W- would it offend you if I said that might suit Westlife? Uh, no, if they want to cover it and uh, I can make the royalties, I'd be all right. <laughs> okay. Right then. Uh, so where do you go from here? You 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 played in my local village, and I didn't. I think I was away, but uh, you, you you're on a run of five gigs, aren't you? Yeah, I, I'm. When I'm home in Cork, I play um, the bars and cover gigs and bits and pieces. I'm just back from the UK and Germany. I'm kind of trying to um, promote the new record that, that got oh, around. Quick, to tell me about that because I know you, you're working with uh, a hugely influential, world-renowned producer, Sasha Paith. Yes, he's from the a band, a stadium-filling band called Avantasia, and he's incredible. And we just uh, combined on this whole new record. It's coming out in September. God Run was the first single and the next single Crying Shame is coming out this month. Is that the first radio play of, uh, of God Run? In Cork, yes. I think we might have three world premieres in a row in the three fighters I've been doing the show. <laughs> I have a challenge for you. I have to say thanks to uh, certain people. Uh, one of them is Claire O'Connor. Uh, take some notes there. One is okay. uh, is, is uh, Kevin Galvin uh, and the other is Seamus Wheeler. Oh yes, I just and, met them there. Yeah. Uh, you met them all there. Yes. So they've, they've been making the show very easy for me to do over the last uh, two and a half weeks or so. So I wonder if you could just throw a few chords together and you know the fact that Neil Prendival is coming back on Monday morning. I'll give you a couple of minutes there uh, to to do that. Uh, so well done to everybody. And uh, the lads wanted me to keep uh, a couple of minutes. This is very sinister now, Mark. Right? <laughs> when they say keep two minutes at the end of the show, there's something we want you to play. And uh, then I know that I'm probably going to be the butt of somebody's joke here. But uh, let's let's uh, see. You, you, you've taken down the names. I have it here. You, I, it's kind of like going to be like a happy birthday to you. It must be easy I've chords. Some, I've right? got some go-to okay. chords. So, yeah. so, so the challenge is: How do I thank the Neil Prendival Show producers uh, for doing what they did over the last two weeks? Okay, Mark okay. Daly, this rocker. Could, let's go. This could be career-ending. <laughs> Thanks to Kevin, Seamus, and Claire for keeping this great. Show on the air The topics Content 
And on the crack And on Monday Neil Prandevaux will be back Hey Mick You did a great job too Thanks for having me rocking out with you Brilliant. <laughs> Career over. Okay. Is that why you wanted the two minutes so he could... No, okay. Well, what do you want me to do then? Uh, where am I? Where are you? Am I up here? Can you hear me? Can you get me? Yes. No. Have you got me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Mick, look, it's two and a half weeks. It's been an extremely enjoyable two and a half weeks. Um, not just for myself, Seamus, and Claire, uh, but also for, for our favourite sportscaster in this station. So, you've had a few moments over the last two and a half weeks. I thought people oh, might no. just recap over our favourites uh, in your time in Neil's seat over the Very last Very quickly uh, last then, my week. bad jokes as it go on. <laughs> well, look, I'll leave the clip play for itself. Okay, here we go. Here, here is what they're talking about. Sorry about this, Mark. Thank you for coming in, by the way. Thank you, Mick. Thank you. Hello, very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prandeville Show as Neil takes his summer breaks. A bit of an extended run for me. I'll be here until Friday, two weeks. Here's, here's, here's one you like. Space is a stinger, a stinker because farts linger. Astronauts, <laughs> you, apparently you can't burp in space, right? Right. But farts come much easier and linger. Space traveller Tim Peake said the lack of gravity plays havoc with internal gases. Uh, he also said he's, uh, he scoffed three spuds a night on the International Space Station. Can you imagine him taking the peas and lentil soup? <laughs> uh, he said the odours can be out of this world. Oh, dear God. Okay, well, don't unfriend me on Facebook now or anything, right? right? But I just saw a car being driven by a sheep in a swimsuit. <laughs> it was a Lambikini. Thanks, Rory. You asked me to up the ante a little and get some better handover comedy. This one's all over Facebook last night, so people may have heard this one. Went into the butcher's this morning and asked for some tripe. He gave me a DVD box set of Love Island. Hey, uh, little lad. What about this one? A buddy of mine fell down the stairs in my house last week. Right. Took me half an hour to find him. Why? I thought it was EastEnders starting. <laughs> Okay, back to normal bad joke okay. standards. Right. Did you hear about the guy who invented the knock-knock jokes? I did not. He won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> what would you call a hippie's wife? Uh, I don't know. This is hippie. Come on. And in breaking news... Oh, yeah. Gardy have arrested <clears throat> the devil. All right. They got him on possession. For bad, bad people, uh, Neil Prandival returns. Normal service will resume on Monday morning. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.